Get fired up for another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. With filthy mouths and bad attitudes. Featuring Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Also featuring Parker. Yes, there's no two ways about it. He's super white. And our special guest, Alex. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. Entire production supervised by Bigfoot. Now, let's join the boys for their latest episode. Poof. Ladies and gentlemen, we watched Oppenheimer and Barbie. Truly a magical weekend for film releases in the United States. Hey, guess what, man? Go woke, get broke. <laughs> Finally sticking it to those goddamn women by making hundreds of millions of dollars. They will well, never recover. Nevertheless, <laughs> we'll get no exception here. Theaters are back. <laughs> oh, well, but before we get into our opening act, Parker, do we have any news? Man, I gotta say, just big congrats all around on WB, uh, spite releasing Barbie on the same day as Oppenheimer, just to be shitheads about it, <laughs> and then giving Nolan, like, this humongous opening for this R-rated three-hour movie about some old guy that no one really cares about. <laughs> like, there's no way in the world this makes anywhere near 80 million opening weekend, except for, uh, you know, I've complained nonstop about... It was a couple episodes ago where I had a near breakdown about how every single day I'm getting pictures of, oh my god, the stars on the pink carpet, and this, and that, and all that, and uh, hey, what do I know? Turns out they knew what they were doing, because both movies made a shit ton of money, so I guess I'll shut the fuck up. Yep. I will never shut the fuck up, (laughs) however, same. Yes. Well, um, uh, I I also have some serious. Are you guys fucking kidding me? They're putting the Haunted Mansion out in July? Oh, yeah, they're doomed. That's yeah, fucking... <laughs> Are you... I... I'm apoplectic about this. I had no idea this was happening until I saw that trailer twice. And I was like, oh, this seems watchable. I can't wait to see this in what must be surely be October, right? <laughs> oh, this is gonna be great next Thursday. <laughs> Hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. that movie's fucking That's, doomed. Uh... <laughs> That's a real... Oh, I was going to see this. Oh, never mind. Hey, speaking cool, of thanks, trailers, guys. what's the funniest movie you saw this week? Because mine was The Exorcist trailer. Oh, holy guacamole. Dude, did you see what Jay Bauman posted? It's like the picture of Reagan that they use is not from The Exorcist. That's where Linda Blair plays a 13-year-old alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, better movie. Yeah. Don't worry, guys. They got her mom back. From the first movie, yeah. and that she's an expert on exorcisms. I when I was, you know, what movies fucking suck. <laughs> Exorcism movies, all of them. Eh, well, Pope's exorcist. So here's the thing: when I was in the theater for uh, Oppenheimer, here's the thing about Oppenheimer is it's bringing in a lot of people who, as far as I could tell, don't normally watch movies, which is a really good sign, because they were the theater went completely silent for that Exorcist trailer, and then it was as noisy as fuck. Everyone going. That was fucking scary. I don't want to watch that. I'm like, I haven't heard that since like 2006. All right, maybe Hell I'll yeah, just uh, refer to my previous point. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> I guess it's well, going to make a yeah. lot of money too. 
That answers a big question for me, because my showing of Oppenheimer did not have trailers, and therefore I walked in seven minutes late. Oh, oh brutal. Good to know that that's not all of them, because I was going to rant about Christopher Nolan being a fucking asshole for doing that. Oh, no. We got the debut trailer for yeah. the new Exorcist from the guy I who missed brought out you... of the Exorcist trailer? God. Yeah. It's from the guy who brought you the last three Halloween movies, of which you probably liked one and a half. Here's a new oh, that's Exorcist. That's correct, yeah. Uh, the only other thing I have really is uh, more of a hypothetical I want to ask you. So obviously um, this strike is not going away anytime soon because we're going to learn all the wrong lessons from this and nothing's going to happen. <laughs> so actors can't promote their movies. So if things don't start getting pushed to next year, would you be more likely to see Aquaman 2 if like you're sitting in the theater and James Wan just comes on screen and he's like, Hey guys, we're on our third round of reshoots. See you in December. <laughs> Look, a third round of reshoots <laughs> means they must be working really hard on it. They want to make it just right. <laughs> if you're making the second Aquaman movie and you're like, all right, guys, fourth time's the charm, do you have a better chance to be like, I'm going to check that out than just like him showing up like, hey, we got a great movie for you. Because I, you could talk me into that theater real fucking quick. <laughs> if you're like, oh, we're like 400 million in, man. We can't stop. I don't know what to do. Please come see it. Also, uh, yeah. Yeah, everything's getting pushed off till next year. It's going to be a fucking disaster. Oh, yeah. We're going to be those lean COVID years of uh, doing white guy karate movies every week. Oh, no. Get ready for a lean. second renaissance. Excuse me? <laughs> it's the second renaissance of this show. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I've already penciled Psycho Kickboxer, the Dark Angel, onto our calendar. Don't oh, you worry. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was really hoping to see Dune this year. Well, good thing Don the Dragon Wilson has 100 movies. <laughs> <laughs> Eight blood fists. See you next year, dude. Yep. Alright, let's get into our jerks of the week. Oh, fuck. I can't believe you've done this. Uh, I'll go first. This, this, you know, I, sometimes I feel like we're getting away from the original spirit of jerks of the week. So I'm trying to channel as much Walter Chaprinsky energy as I possibly can into this. Oh my god, he's gonna say <laughs> it. <laughs> I, ordered, I ordered a hat from underarmor.com and it was delivered to me fairly quickly I might add and I tried it on and it was too small everyone knows I have a giant head and I was like oh well they have free returns so I'll just do that in order to do a free return you have to print out the shipping label on uh, underarmor.com if you put in like the product code and stuff like that and it says I can't do it because I have to wait for the hat to be delivered to me the hat I was holding in my hand has not been delivered to me yet and thus I'm stuck with a hat that is too small. Jerk, jerk, jerk. Who are your jerks of the week? Well, also in making sure that we return to the spirit of jerks of the week, uh, my hero of the week is the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something we want uh, to say. <laughs> uh, obviously, I mean, we all know he's a big CCP fan. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of fucking TikTok filters that'll turn you into like a Barbie character. And in literally 100% of them, it turned me black. So, <laughs> hell yeah, dude. Huge dub for me. I need to post those pictures. They're really good. Well, luckily, I have a jerk and a hero. Uh, my jerk of the week is I was listening to a podcast, and they reference a movie that came out in the year of our Lord 2001 as coming out at the turn of the century. And I almost drove into the fucking wall. <laughs> it upset me so much in a way I had never considered. And uh, my hero of the week... Uh, be a good friend Christopher Nolan going on a Rich Eisen show and Eisen asking him what is his drop the remote movies where if he's flipping channels he leaves them on his first answer is anything by Kubrick 
and then his immediate follow-up is Talladega Nights. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. incredible. Movie. We gotta get him on the show. We gotta find a way to get his ass on here. Because he thought he was joking. He's like, really? Talladega Nights? Like, hey man, you hit first, you're oh, last. Good. And that was the end of the interview. <laughs> oh, good. I- I'm glad that, that when we uh, get to a certain movie later on, it'll be our second Kubrick reference of the episode. Oh. oh yes. Finally, to talk about Lolita again. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also, this doesn't have a category, but Alex, I just, I thought of something earlier and I need an answer from you. After your takes from last week, did you like Michael Keaton more in The Flash or in Batman 89? I need, I need to know this. The Flash, easily. It's not close. (laughs) Okay. I just, that hit me earlier. I was like, wait, this would have been a really good question to ask him when he talked about Batman. Okay. I have closure now. Thank you. Yes. I'm not going to roast you. I'm excited to have a conversation about that movie. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I'm not going to... I just... I needed to know. Yeah. It hit me at work. Because I can't use my headphones anymore. So I just... There's thoughts spinning at all times. And, oh, no. How are you going to listen to Harry and Megan? Yeah. I'm going to have to make free time. Yeah. At home. For season two. On my days off. All right. It's fine. Everything's Let's fine. Let's talk about what we watched recently. My brother sent me an Instagram reel because this is the only way that he communicates. He doesn't email, call, text, nothing. It just sends me Instagram reels. Uh, And he sent me one of two British individuals. One you're probably going to recognize. I didn't know him at the time because I'm very offline. And uh, the first guy says, hard day's work, a beer after. Right off the bat, I like this guy. I understand what he's saying. And the other British gentleman responds, Pickled onions is what you isn't And the first one says, Wise words. And it was very funny to me. I thought this was hilarious. I sent this to my friend, and she said, Oh, that's from a show called Clarkson's Farm. I said, Who is Clarkson? Clarkson is uh, Jeremy Clarkson, who is, I think, <laughs> I think he's the king of Britain right now, something like that. Parker, you're the expert on the royalty, so I'm not really sure. You know, I'm just so tired of all the bullying this family's had to endure. (laughs) So, anyway, apparently everyone in Britain hates Jeremy Clarkson, and yet he keeps getting work. I don't know. So, apparently he used to have, like, a Oh, so he's, like, our version of their version of James Corden. I guess so. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, Jeremy Clarkson had a show where he used to drive cars, and people liked it. And then he got a show where he got a farm. Uh, They put it on Amazon. And I was like, alright, I'll watch a couple episodes. I want to see British Boomhauer again. And the basic idea here is he has, because he's insanely rich, he has this really, really big farm. And he says, the guy who used to work here uh, quit, so I'm going to try farming it myself. And my first thought is, God, better him than me. I've worked on farms before, because I'm from Poolsville or something else to do. And I'd be terrible at that. It's not fun. It doesn't look like uh, something I'd be any good at. And then one episode in, I'm like, fuck, I'd be better than him. He's horrible. He's really stupid. Uh, About Jeremy Clarkson himself... The man can be very funny at times. He has, uh, he's very quick-witted, and he actually has the kind of voice that, where you can see, oh, that's why he's so successful as a TV presenter, because you, you listen to every single word that he says. Unfortunately, sometimes his jokes are whiffs, and when he whiffs, he whiffs real hard. I'm talking like batting practice, he's hitting singles, doubles, triples, home runs, and then he swings way too early, does like a 720, lets go of the bat, hits some old guy in the stands, the man made two Greta Thunberg jokes. What are we fucking doing? This is fucking disastrous. <laughs> uh, well, you know, he is on a farm. You know those cows, yeah. Chris. Uh, 
I, I will say the show is interesting enough. It's not like must-watch TV or anything, and I don't know that this is going to get me to watch uh, Top Gear. But uh, the jokes every once in a while are pretty funny. It also says, uh, yeah, farming is hard. Gee, I had no idea. So, I, I don't know. I, I might finish it. I guess I guess I just want to get to that one funny scene, which I probably should have just like watched that on repeat. Speaking of the British doing things well for a change, I guess I'm sort of uh, destroying the original spirit of this show. I watched a British movie starring two members of Monty Python that I really liked. This is called right, A Fish Called Wanda, <laughs> which uh, I had never actually seen before. When I was like, when I was a kid, I, I know my dad rented it from the video store and brought it home and put it on. It was like, oh, this movie's really good. You should watch it. And I fell asleep in five minutes. And uh, it turns out, probably for the best, that movie is for grown-ups. But also, it's very funny. This is very well done. It is, uh, it's a heist movie. Basic idea is uh, a bunch of people, they, they steal a diamond, but they're constantly like betraying each other. And John Cleese plays like a barrister, and he sort of gets entangled with it. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're called. <laughs> Say it again. Yeah, they're called barristers. <laughs> he wears like a silly wig for half the movie. Uh who else is it? Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. One of her best performances, uh, in my opinion. Michael Palin. Do they make her talk British? No, they don't. So, probably for the best. Kevin Klein is the real draw here. Of course he is. He's American. This guy, I don't know what he's doing, but he is funnier than either Python in this movie. He is the real draw here. I, I strongly recommend this just to watch Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> Sorry, you said the other Python, and now I'm just imagining James and Dave Franco as the Pythons. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, what else did I watch here? Um, oh, this one. Alright, so, uh, Girl Alex came over, and we watched, uh, I think we only watched two movies, and <laughs> neither one of them were really great. The first one is on the list. Oops. This one is called Rubber. Rubber is... Uh, oh, that movie fucking... Sucks. Yeah, I don't like this one at all. All right, so the basic idea here is uh, it's only an hour 20, which is why she said, oh, put it on if you don't... Because I had... Felt like four. Sorry. I, I've not thought of this movie since the early, early, early days of Netflix, and it just really... That really just hit me. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're to totally fine. See, here's the thing. I was laboring under the misapprehension that Rubber was some sort of beloved movie. I thought, like, James Gunn did the script or something like that because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, Rubber is really good. It's a cult classic. It's so epic and random bacon penguin of doom. So the basic idea here is there is a rubber tire, like a car tire, and it can explode people uh, with psychic powers. And that's it, really. Uh, yeah. That's that's actually the whole movie. There is nothing that's funny about this movie. It tries to be funny, I think, but it doesn't do that well. The whole thing fucking starts with, like, some guy comes up and he says to the camera, uh, sometimes things happen in movies for no reason at all. And as he's listing things that don't make any sense, I was like, wait, every single one of these has a rational explanation. There, there are reasons that these things happen. And then I found out, I and I knew this, by the way, that a Frenchman directed this. And I could tell with all the dialogues, like, this is the most French fucking thing I've ever seen. Which we will get to with a certain movie that we watched. Uh, I, I cannot <laughs> recommend uh, Rubber. I think Rubber is very, very boring. And I don't understand what people like about this. See, Alex brought up a really good point. She's like, you know, if I saw this in 2007, I might say, and I hadn't watched a lot of movies, I might say, hey, this is pretty good. More people should see, uh, you know, offbeat stuff like this. 
but it wasn't released until 2010. By that point, that kind of humor is way gone. So, Rubber stinks. I, I do not recommend Rubber, and if you do like Rubber, write to Parker about why it's good. So. <laughs> Damn it. I remember putting that on early and when Netflix was all over streaming. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, a giant tire that kills people. This will be a lot of fun. Oops. was not, yeah. as it turns out. Yeah. So, uh... Glad I missed that one. Yeah. So I was talking to Alex about uh, the Mission Impossible movie. So I was like, you know, the most recent one was really fun. You know, you should you should go see it. And she's like, oh, I actually haven't seen any of the Mission Impossible movies. I'm like, oh, man. I know what we're doing when we get home, and then we didn't watch any of them. But I, I told her, hey, the first one is De Palma, and she didn't know that. She didn't even believe me. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, check it out. The second one's John Woo, and the third one is Bad, and the fourth one is Brad Bird. <laughs> and the uh, fifth and sixth are uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Brock Bird? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I was like, yeah, Christopher McQuarrie. And she's like, oh, what else did he do? And I said, I, I don't know. And she looked it up because she likes to do that. And we found that he did a movie from 2000 called The Way of the Gun. And uh, right off the bat, I'm like, okay, we are putting that shit on. And of course it was on Tubi, because why wouldn't it be? And uh, here's the plot. So, Ryan Philippe and Benicio Del Toro... By the way, this is 2000. Sold. Yeah, I know. But Ryan Philippe and Benicio Del Toro are uh, small-time crook uh, drifters. And... Uh, they decide, oh, we need more money. What's a good way to get money? We'll kidnap a pregnant Juliette Lewis, who is a surrogate mother for this really rich guy, and one of the really rich guys' uh, henchmen is James Kahn, and also Tay Diggs. And uh, they, uh, they, there's a whole lot of confusion in there. It's uh, very, very badly written. Unfortunately, Christopher McQuarrie is a much better director than he is a writer. Because uh, the dialogue really stinks. They the first five minutes, Sarah Silverman starts a fight. I don't know why Sarah Silverman's here. I guess you know. Uh, she, it's a different era, yeah, Chris. I guess. And she starts a fight, and Ryan Philippe says the hard f several times in five minutes. I, I had seen the opening of this movie several times, yeah. and then I watched the rest of the movie. I was like, oh, this isn't. Yeah, this is. He's not. He's not there yeah, yet. This isn't actually good. I'll give. Uh, I'll give Juliette Lewis a lot of credit. That couldn't have been an easy role for her to to play because uh, she is very pregnant in this movie and is uh, not really walking like a pregnant woman would, but uh, as you watch her, just like, boy, she should really just give birth. Like, hurry up and get it over with. Women have it so easy. Anyway, True, they though. somehow made... We'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> they somehow made uh, <laughs> Tay Diggs, like, way too unattractive. Like, they, they found a suit that would not fit him. I don't know what they were thinking. The Way of the Gun really isn't a very good movie. I can't, you know, really honestly recommend it, but uh, it might entertain someone out there. All right, uh, what else did I do? Sorry, I'm thinking about Tate Diggs sending cryptic tweets to his co-stars. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I rewatched the original series run of Beavis and Butthead, and uh, good news and bad news. The bad news is don't watch seasons one or two. They're just they're just not good like i i don't think his staff really do uh how to draw at that point but seasons uh three through seven are very very good and it does just the simplest humor very very well there's a woman sitting at an orthodontist right and she's reading a magazine she sees them outside and she says please don't let them sit here please don't let them sit over here please don't let them sit over here and butthead says hey beavis let's sit over there and it's just 
perfect the way that it is done with the rhythm, timing, everything. Uh, I happen to love it quite a bit, and I decided I would rewatch the movie Beavis and Butthead to America. Uh, I still love it. I, I still think it is a great satire, but I went through some contemporary reviews, and two people who notably disliked it, and this was a bit of a surprise, were Trey Parker and Matt Stone. They, they loved the series, but they thought that the movie was a bit of a disappointment because it just feels like an elongated episode. And those episodes are like seven minutes long, and they turned this one into an hour 20. And uh, that's one of the reasons that they made South Park bigger, longer, and uncut. They said, if you want to do a movie for the show, it should feel like a movie, not like, you know, just an episode elongated. And thus, uh, South Park bigger, longer, and uncut is uh, a bit bigger. I mean, they meet the devil and everything, and I guess they did that on the show. They sing songs. Yeah, they sing songs. It's big. It's bombastic. It feels like a real production. And uh, I'll admit, they don't really do that in Beavis and Butthead do America. And uh, I, they both have strengths at what they do. Am I saying that the South Park movie is better than Beavis and Butthead do America? Yes. So yes. the other movie, <laughs> the other, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the other uh, uh, thing that I watched here is, uh, I guess I should mention now, I, I started rewatching Hey Arnold. Let me tell you something, guys. Big Bob Attack, he's one of the funniest characters in TV history. That guy deserves his own fucking show. He's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> Helga comes it's... up to, oh, hey, Dad, can I talk to you? What do you want? I already gave you your allowance. <laughs> he's the most New York character in any piece of media ever. Yes. He's perfect. <laughs> he's absolutely perfect. Like, I love him in every way. Yeah. Uh, the characters are still very... Grandpa is hysterical with everything that he does. I, that's one of those kid shows that really does hold up. And uh, you know what? I'm going to piss off a lot of people here, but it is better than Avatar The Last Airbender. And if you disagree, please email Parker. His inbox is waiting. <laughs> yeah. Who are these people? Yeah, you know I'll put up a fight about yeah. that. I notoriously hate Hey Arnold. <laughs> if uh, if if you are one of our listeners and you are anything other than ambivalent towards Avatar: The Last Airbender, please write Parker. Yeah, we need to know you exist. This. All right, uh, I please. Yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. we'll talk about it. <laughs> sure, whatever, man. All right, I could use a friend. <laughs> Tell me about it. All right, so uh, last one here. I, uh, I saw the Avengers Brothers movie. It's called Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. I did not re-watch the series as I normally do because uh, I, I was too busy watching Hey Arnold. But let me tell you something. From what I remember of the show, this movie is very well done. It captures the humor that I like so much. I, I really like these characters. Uh, the voices are really funny to me. Unfortunately, uh, Dr. Mrs. the Monarch's voice is stuck in my throat. I actually ordered from Chipotle in that voice. So uh, I'm going to be stuck like that for a while. But that's, somehow it's not the funniest voice. Hank does, uh, uh, he does a Christian Bale Batman voice uh, at various times, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, Parker, I know you like uh, Venture Brothers. Alex, are you uh, a fan of Venture Brothers? I wish I liked it. It never clicked for me. Yeah, I, I I, I'm sure it would if I gave it time. I just, I'm old. It's, like, it's, what am I going to do? Fair. Like, yeah, I'm a guy in my 30s who discovered Venture Brothers. Like, what be sure. Well, that's just me. But but the thing about Venture Brothers is, uh, if there is a criticism, it's that it's definitely not as funny as everything else is uh, that like other Adult Swim shows, you know, would be. It's not as funny as say C Lab or Frisky Dingo. But it's as funny as it needs to be, you know? And I, the other characters in the adventure, I think that makes up for everything else. Like, it always did feel a bit weird to me that uh, 
uh, who's the, the big guy with the blonde hair? That guy, he feels like he should be a bit funnier, but he seems like he's always played a bit straight. Uh, he has a couple jokes. It's, it's fine. It's whatever. But uh, ultimately, if you like the show, you're already going to watch the movie. So, uh, And you're already going to enjoy it anyway. But I could say this as someone who is uh, somewhat unbiased here. Yeah, it's actually good. Uh, Alex? I think anyone our age who watched a lot of Adult Swim, uh, because that show took so long to make, has seen season one approximately 400 times. Yeah, Correct. yeah, probably. Like, I have seen that goddamn Fantastic Four episode at least 100 times. It felt like any time I turned it on Adventure Brothers was on, it was that exact episode. Mm-hmm. So I've never finished it, because I got tired of seeing the same eight episodes. <laughs> well, if you do want to rewatch it, the whole thing is on HBO Max, along with everything else. And I don't use that app enough. I'm losing money here. All right. Uh, now to my helpful assistant, Alex. Uh, so I don't have a ton to talk about this week, just because, you know, I had to sit in a theater for six hours of movie. Yeah. But uh, uh, just two things here. Uh, first, in case you were unaware, as I was before, like last week, uh, What We Do in the Shadows is back. <clears throat> we uh, oh, we yeah. love to see oh, that. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> Still good. Yes. <laughs> not really going to talk about it more than that. Very like, good. <laughs> there's not really much more to say, mm-hmm. you know. I, it turns out I did, in fact, want to see the vampires attend a pride parade. Like, you're right. <laughs> hey, you fucking nailed it. There we go. Like, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> uh, I watched one other movie. Um, we've been watching a bunch of found footage stuff lately that even Parker hasn't logged. So, uh... Uh-oh. I, 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 get, I don't know, you know. The, the, the tides of mean, expertise are changing. That could mean several things. Because if I haven't logged it, there's a good chance it could be dire. Uh, so I actually liked this one. It was called Webcast. Uh, I'm in already. It came out in 2018. Uh, it's, it's about, like, this girl who's a student. It's kind of unclear whether she's in high school or college, mostly because I feel like all British people over the age of 13 just look chronically 30. Um, <laughs> it, it is British. I guess I didn't mention that part. But That's uh, why. Okay, that makes yeah. sense now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, uh, the, the whole premise of the movie is like her and her like one of her classmates are making like a student film for a project about her aunt who disappeared when she was a teenager so they're just recording everything and they go to a party to talk to like you know the family and friends because they want to they want to ask about this girl you know what was she like you know for the you know for the movie and then some weird shit happens and they're like they they realize that you know they're kind of without really trying to be they're like investigating some weird shit that's going on in the neighborhood that might have something to do with the disappearance of this girl and some other girls and uh i almost don't want to say like where the movie goes because like if i if i make a comparison to like the work of another director you're immediately going to know like where the subtext leads and i think that the movie actually does a pretty good job of I, I don't want to say surprising you when you get to that point, because, I don't know, you probably find out, like, 50 minutes into the movie, like, kind of where it's going when you start to see some certain imagery that might not jive with the way you were thinking about the movie before. Uh, also, I'm sure, like, if, it, it might just be in the plot synopses if you look this up, if you're halfway curious about what I'm saying. So, like, I'm just going to let you find that out on your own if you want to. Uh but this do, this is like a very very good job of telling this story in a way that is like 
suspenseful and creepy, and you actively want to see what is going to happen next. The, uh, the problem with this movie, if you are a person that gets motion sick for a lot of the hand cam shit that was very popular in the early 2000s, you will want to die while watching this. Because it sticks to its ethos as, this is a film being shot by students. So there is a lot of shaky cam. Uh, if, if you're a person that's bothered by that, I don't judge you for that. I thankfully am not, despite getting motion sickness from everything else. Um, if you can get past that, I think the movie's very good. But if that is something that bothers you, just don't bother with this one. Uh, ending is... Eh. But also, I feel like movies in this ouvre, um never really end well. Uh, to, Correct. To do the thing that I just said I wasn't going to do and compare this the ending of this movie to the ending of Hereditary, uh, it is better than the ending of Hereditary. However, it is not substantially better than the ending of Hereditary because with some stories, it's just like, where are you going to go with this? We have to stop rolling at some point, but there's no obvious conclusion to this movie. So your mileage may vary with the ending. And you look uh, but, down and you're like, huh, there's a minute and a half left. And then the camera falls and you're like, well, I guess the movie's over. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's 95 minutes. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, if you are a fan of this type of movie, give this one a try. Um, if you're not, you're not going to get anything out of this. But uh, is worth calling attention to. Although she gave, she's the one that wanted to watch it and she gave up 20 minutes in because it was making her sick. So. Oh. Just be aware that's possible. The accents? No, no, no. She she often has to translate Brit speak to me when we're watching British movies. You know, the, the, Br- the British sucks. did own Singapore into the sixties, so I think she just like has the pass. But uh, <laughs> what does she I, think about uh, Harry and Meghan? Uh, you want me to ask her? More than anything. <laughs> hey, babe, come here. Come here. I'm really busy. No, it'll just take a second. <laughs> it's really hey, uh, important. Hey, h- how do you feel about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? I, I don't care. You don't care? No. That's all you got? No, do you want me to say something well, shitty? You don't I, have to. I'm not going to force you to say something shitty about I mean, them. I mean, I can say plenty of shitty things about them. I mean, I want... I think she just needs more context. Might I recommend six hours? No, not to say that. What are you? I, I was gonna say I want the king to die. You want the king to die? Yeah, okay. I'm not, I'm not what the hell is hey, Why not? I, I don't care. <laughs> I, like we're not gonna censor you. Oh no! What if you? What if you? All right, that's good. That was worth it. All right. Oh no! <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, we hate King Charles in this house, I guess. Uh, I am just listening and learning. You should give us some homework. <laughs> it's only six episodes. Um, should really I, get into it. You know you have to do homework at home, right? That I also live in this home? Yeah. I'm Uh, aware. (laughs) uh, Maybe you should have uh, just done some homework of your own and you wouldn't have been in this predicament. I know. I know it's an unforced error. (laughs) I'm very aware. (laughs) You were so excited about that bit. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Sometimes life gets in the way and you're... You realize what day it is, and uh, it's all ogre. You're like, well, Chris probably read a whole. I probably did just read like a paragraph. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Anyway, what else did you watch, buddy? 
Oh, man. So this was a magical weekend at the movies. Like, I went to see Barbie at, like, the middle of the afternoon on Saturday. I was scrolling through all the listings. It was airing, showing every half hour. Every single one of them was fucking completely sold out. We had to sit on the second row because it was the only place we could find three chairs next to each other. The lobby is fucking packed. Like, there's, like, an actual energy in the room you can feel. They had one of those giant displays of, like, the empty Barbie box you could take a picture in. And there was a line for people to stand there and take that picture. People were fucking hyped. Movies were back. You guys remember when uh, Officer Barbrady finds out about the magic of books and then he reads Atlas Shrugged? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm being a good boy. Uh, contrary to what people believe. All of those assignments are written out on a note here. So I watched Simon Says starring Dennis Rodman, and I no longer enjoy the magic of movies. (laughs) I guarantee that you are underestimating how much Dane Cook is in this movie. (laughs) Dusty Crophopper himself. It's so much. He might have more screen time than Dennis Rodman. I think he does. And if not, it... It might be one of those uh, Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs. It just feels like it's a lot because he really commands the screen with his presence. <laughs> Isn't that the one where I he like pretends the... to be like a T-Rex at one point for some reason? Oh, that's one of them. <laughs> that's one of them, buddy. You, you say the one where. Isn't that like 30% of his act? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know his act. Oh, yeah? Oh. That's literally what I picture when I think about Dan Cook is I'm just walking around like a T-Rex. I, I, I don't watch the stand-up. I spent uh, about an hour searching torrent site after torrent site after So It Goes after Tubi after YouTube. So I paid three ninety nine for this movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have legitimately never been angrier to waste four dollars in my life. I Dane Cook is second build in this movie, and this man is every scene ends with like, "All right, Dennis, say some." Uh, I guess we gotta go find the CD. All right, well, we got to end on something more high energy than that. Hey, Dane, do a bit. <laughs> hey, why don't you do, like, a funny dance in this scene? Hey, why don't you, like, bark like a dog? Why don't you make a T-Rex sound? Let me tell you something right now about that, uh, that little T-Rex joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it cuts back and forth from a reaction to him still doing it at least four times. It goes on so fucking long. It is... One of the most unpleasant things I've ever seen, and Chris, you you know some of the things I've yes. seen because you've seen them as yeah. well. I was watching it with headphones on my laptop in the corner of the room, and I shifted my whole body and turned towards the wall, <laughs> just in the off chance that someone would be like, "Hey, what you watching over there?" I, I could not. He guys like Chewbacca impressions. <laughs> well, I've impressions of other people. Uh, I'm not. I'm not anti Chewbacca yeah. impressions. Wait, I I can do a Chewbacca impression. Hang on, let me just. Hey guys, I'm Chewbacca by the way. <laughs> hey, guys, hey man, I'm a Wookie. <laughs> um, so what are normal reason? guys up to? <laughs> so this is two or this is 1999. That first CD that he did that, like, blew the fuck up and was everywhere, that didn't come out till 2003. So he's not even a thing yet. So why the fuck is he all over this movie? I assumed it was like, a, oh, this guy's really hot right now. Everyone loves him. Throw him no. He's just some struggling comic out in L.A. And they throw him in this dog shit movie. And the fucking... I cannot get over 
the Velociraptor scene. Oh, it, it has upset me to such a level. Like, I stopped taking notes after. That was like halfway to the movie. I didn't write a single thing else. The only other thing I made note of was the sex scene, which was oh. not supposed to be yeah. funny, but it was incredibly yeah. funny. Because it's Dennis Robin and this woman, and that strobe light is going insane. Mm-hmm. This is uh, one of the most unpleasant 90 minutes I've ever had in my life. I watched this after my day at the theaters. I've the come down from it was unbelievable. Thanks again. Um, I'm sure I have a couple good movies on the those assignments I could probably get to, but nah. Why do that? Uh, you know, when you put it off for a year, yeah, you got you got to pay some interest on it. That's that's how it goes. Yep. So looking forward to watching some more quality content. Oh shit! Speaking of. <clears throat> the other thing I watch, uh, sometimes you're flipping through Shutter, and you're like, "Huh, a new Children of the Corn, huh?" That's <laughs> another one. <laughs> Fuck off. I'm gonna tell you the reason I hit play on yeah. it is because I looked it up. Right, it came out uh, to like four theaters this year in March, mm-hmm. and it was made in 2020. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> I gotta see what this is all about. <laughs> Uh, if you'll just give me a second here, I accidentally close this tab. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, writer slash director of this movie has an absolutely insane filmography, which makes this movie all the more baffling. Let me see here. Fucking open up dog shit app. All right, uh, this is directed and written by a man, man named Kurt Wimmer, who. Oh shit! I know yeah. who this is. Yeah. Um, we're going to go with just the writing credits first. We've got the Total Recall remake, the Point Break remake, Law Abiding Citizen, Street Kings, Ultraviolet, Equilibrium. Oh, I watched Ultraviolet. And, of course, Double Trouble. <laughs> and if we just go down here to his uh, dress, like, the man who directed Equilibrium and Ultraviolet, like, hey man, do you want to do, like, the 11th Children of the Corn movie? <laughs> Now, uh, this movie, uh, to no surprise, uh, is dog shit. The entire thing takes place in, like, three sets. Uh, all the acting's bad. None of it makes sense. But at the end of the movie, the giant corn monster, it just looks like Groot, and he just grabs a woman by the legs and rips her in half like in Bone Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. So, two stars. Good, good movie, guys. Right. Check it out. <laughs> I think that's it for me. Yeah, let's talk about, uh, the movie, the magic of movies. All right. We love it. We love to see it. We love being whisked away to a beautiful world. Well, our uh, sensational episode about Barbie and Oppenheimer will not be heard. Truly, one of the biggest, <laughs> one of the biggest weekends of movies, and probably since like Endgame came out. Honestly, yeah. so anyways, there's four magicians. <laughs> Presto, changeo. <laughs> we are. We are watching. So here's the thing about misdirection. <laughs> if you guys have ever, you know, watched- they want you to look over here. But actually, you're supposed to look over there. Yeah. If you guys have ever seen Penn and Teller's bullshit, like I know our audience is very familiar with, then uh, they know all about misdirection. They say there is a secret society of magicians. <laughs> <laughs> This is the one that the Joe Bluth was not allowed to join. 
We demand to be taken seriously. <laughs> All right, so look, it's I don't I don't think it's fair to call magicians pedophiles after in this movie Jesse Eisenberg himself almost gets laid. <laughs> <laughs> then he sees he got a secret tarot card and shoves her off. <laughs> you want to talk about turning on a movie immediately? This attractive woman throwing herself on him like, oh my god, I'm such a big fan. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, card. Get out of here! It's like all right, I'm fucking over this. I I go the complete opposite way of this character. Let Jesse Eisenberg be autistic and everything. And you know what I want to see? An autistic magician movie. That's what I'm here for. Like this yeah. guy sucks. That's but also he's the only person that could play this role. Yeah. He he really does sound like a somehow faster Ben Shapiro. <laughs> and t- time out. I think Brando could have played this role too. This movie with Brando would have been three hours. I'm looking for a car. Not that one. That's a weird one. We built this massive stage in Vegas. You're looking too fucking close to the car. All right, all right. Alright, light up the fucking building. Well, Brando's just like Ving Rhames in Mission <laughs> They just have to keep cutting around him standing on stage. I do like the idea that like they go to the Vegas stage. It's the Four Horsemen. It's Woody Harrelson. It's Dave Franco. It's Henley. And also, Jesse Eisenberg. And it's just Marlon Brando on like one of those, uh, what do they call the, the Walmart scooters? It's just like Lila going, <laughs> What's it, the Rascal? Is that what it's called? Yeah, <laughs> the Rascal, the rascal dude. <laughs> I wanted to let you find Thank it. Thank you. I had to think about that. <laughs> I've never written one. I, sh- I, I need to start doing that. We'll ghostwrite it. All right, so, Mr. Brando, this is called a tarot card, and he's just glaring <laughs> at you. <laughs> Donut powder on his mouth. <laughs> oh, well, can, I, can I bring my friend from the island of Dr. Moreau, the little red guy? <laughs> You're walking past the room, and all you hear is, Mr. Brando, you can't say gypsy anymore. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> Sir, stop was eating the, the intern. It was the worst of times. I like it. Dude, all I can think about now is fucking, he has like the little red guy from uh, the island of Dr. Moreau, but he, the little red guys wear like one of those Vegas girl outfits with like the plume on top. It'd be a good bit to be a magician with that as your helper and never once acknowledge it. This little freak getting sawed in half. Alright, this is sick food. It's gonna help me out with the time. <laughs> So magic is real, <laughs> and we love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I like how you make Brando sound like Christopher Walken on Quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess we should talk about the characters. Jesse Eisenberg is the autist who's really good with sleight of hand. Uh, Dave Franco is uh, the yeah. other one who's good with sleight of hand. <laughs> <laughs> they, they needed four people, I yeah. guess. <laughs> I was, I was. <laughs> I was imagining this as the fucking Always Sunny episode where they assemble the team. It's like, well, you're the useless chick. <laughs> yeah, uh, a, uh, a girl plays someone named Henley. <laughs> so Great. Yeah. I'm sure that was a popular name in uh, whenever she was born. Oh, yeah. Henley. And uh, she's really good at escaping from, you know, she does like the, the Harry Houdini escape from straight jackets underwater. Which she does once at the very beginning of the movie, and uh, doesn't. And that's yeah, it. That's it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's but, more than Dave Franco does, who pickpockets a guy. Uh, we will once. get to Dave Franco. Dave Franco actually has my favorite scene in the movie. So uh, Woody Harrelson. They put together a super team of four people, two of which can do sleight of hand, and one of which can 
Shane, like, he what, has mind what, what powers. Which is, what is he? <laughs> one of which is, I sense Gary's in danger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like that Woody Harrelson is just, I guess his power is just mind freak, you know? He can read people, which apparently he can't do particularly well. He just uses it to do insults. Uh, which I like, by the way. This movie, like, I do like when he robs that guy, though. Oh, yeah. It, like, dances around between, like, ah, you didn't see me switch the handcuffs, and then, like, wait, is magic real? How did you hypnotize a thousand people at once? Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, I, I mean, I know we'll get to this in more detail later, but it really is the CGI magic yeah. that pushes this movie over the yeah. top. Because, like, <laughs> I understand that, like, Jesse Eisenberg is not a magician. However, you have somebody floating in, like, a bubble, yeah. like, just around, like, an arena. Like, this is just, like, this is just fucking Narnia. At this yeah, point that, that's what got if me I... about it, is fucking Henley. She has, like, a, she has, she has like, a, a floating blue curtain that looks like uh, Spawn's cape. That's, like, the hardest insult I can get for her. I, I think that's CGI. It. All I know is if I pay good money in Vegas to see a magic show, and I just see the fucking opera from Revenge of the Sith and this bitch <laughs> flying around in a bubble, I'm furious. Where's the amazing Jonathan? What is this? This movie kept making me think about the Fright Night remake, where instead of having a TV horror host, they just have fake Chris Angel. Should we? We should really watch should we, that. Should that be our next episode? I think it should. The movie's so good. I'll watch that All again right. anytime. All right, so, I fucking yeah, love sure, that movie. I'm sure shit not seeing The Haunted Mansion this yeah. weekend, so sure. Yeah, you and no one else. Okay, so uh, they they all have their specialties of magic, and their specialties of magic are just ripping people off. And they all have a secret benefactor who gives them a special tarot card, and then he leads them up to uh, an abandoned apartment where he has uh, magic holograms that display blueprints <laughs> for how to steal money, <laughs> which they've been doing anyway. <laughs> it's a real moment where you're sitting here like, look, I'm enjoying this because this is stupid, but what is this? <laughs> what, am, what am I here for? Yeah. I feel like the movie's trying to, like, wink and nod at, you know, the, you know, the magic in general mm-hmm. and like oh you know like some like santa claus yeah, shit yeah. right like it's just starting to say like oh you know maybe it is real but it does it with 2013 cgi right yeah and that's just that's just not very convincing yeah it's absolutely insane that this movie is built around magic They're like all right and then we'll just fake through the whole thing it's like what i you have one job to do a goddamn sleight of hand trick and instead, we just have them standing on a fucking blue screen projecting on a building somewhere. It's yeah. fine. So, <laughs> magic is great. We so all it. these characters, sorry, the four horsemen are... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to call them by their proper yeah, title. Because whenever they close out a show, they say, we are the four horsemen. Man, Dave, come on. I just uh, want to call attention to later, after uh, certain events happen to one of the horsemen, a news broadcast does in fact refer to them as, and I quote, the other three horsemen, <laughs> which I never in a million years would have done, but uh, good for them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good bit. Uh, anyway, uh, they, they're all really arrogant. They all have pretty significant egos, so it's kind of difficult for me to like any of them. Uh which is, you know, so one of the reasons that we watched this is we were talking about, like, the sleight of hand in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, right? And we thought... This is literally my fault. Yeah, well, that's the thing. is like, 
if you don't like these characters, you're going to have to get used to them because they don't have any growth. They don't change in any meaningful way over the course of the movie. They just keep doing magic tricks. You might think to yourself, well, hey, I like magic. I ended up like Hank Hill when he was watching the magic just trying to guess I was done the whole time. I was like kind of pissed off the whole time. And I'm not really sure why that is. I think maybe some of it was like CGI. It's like, oh, you can't explain how that happened because they just already put that card in the useless velvet pocket of Morgan Freeman. By the way, Morgan Freeman's in this. He's <laughs> oh, is he? yeah. I don't know who's Rocking more tired. Double earrings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who's more tired, Morgan Freeman or Mark Ruffalo. They both oh look God, and Mark sound Ruffalo's... exhausted. Like I, I know you hate I Mark Ruffalo. I do, yeah. I've been ambivalent. Yeah. He's good in good stuff. He's fine. In that man is sleepwalking <laughs> through this stupid ass movie. He read the script and went. Oh, yeah, no, I'll give you... Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, transporter guy, let me give you a real banger performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. I wanted to... I actually... Go ahead. Go ahead, talk about... I didn't hate him in this. I, I Well, I mean, you grow to hate him because he's on screen so fucking much. Yeah. But when I thought he was going to be, like, sixth build, like, the cop that's investigating these magicians who I want to spend the movie with, well, I was like, all right, that's good casting. He's short and angry. I like that. But, uh, boy, the movie really dispels that notion quickly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about the director real quick. Uh, Transporter guy, I guess we're going to be calling him. Letourier. Uh... This is like one of the, much like Rubber, this is one of the most secretly French movies I think I've ever seen. Like, you could tell this dialogue is really fucking badly written. You could tell that he didn't really know how to tell the actors to deliver their lines. And something about it just, it smells vaguely French to me. And uh, I think that's definitely not a point in his favor because there isn't really anything that's good that's French. I guess besides Transporter. I haven't actually seen Transporter, so... Probably to be fair, if you think this movie is heavily French-influenced, this is, like, the most sexless French movie of all time. You know, that's the thing, is, like, I was thinking Which about the sexuality of this the movie. <laughs> the, the, the sex in this movie is so bizarre to me. Like, you have Jesse Eisenberg shoving that, uh, that horny woman off of, off of him, and then you get uh, Henley saying to all the girls, yeah, it's, oh, girls, we, you know we love a pair of handcuffs, and I was like... No, I don't. <laughs> Dude, my right this, is, this is a fucking Sorkin movie yeah. when it comes to the sex. Yeah. Like, it, it's like, the movie is genuinely uncomfortable with the idea that sex exists. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Because, like, in this movie, I shouldn't care about that. But this movie is just, like, this movie just so clearly has no bitches. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I mean, one of the things that gets me about it is I, I kept thinking about the scene. They're on, like, the plane, right? And uh, this is the part where Jesse Eisenberg wants to show off that he can also do mind freak shit. And uh, they're like, all right, you think you're so good? Do Henley. He says, no, I won't do Henley. Then they're done that. <laughs> I will do this other girl who has no lines in the movie instead. And then they're like, no, 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 that's too easy. Do him. And, yeah, I guess a... Uh, Michael Caine says, no, do me. And it really felt like the, the way they kept going about do this, do this first, do that, you know. It felt like the director had just learned that do could also mean fuck. And he was just like, oh, I'm going to do a clever joke on Lays American. And uh, this is what you get. A movie that just feels kind of like a teenager. It's like a teenage boy locker room trying to do sex jokes and like none of them even make sense. Oh, we'll get to that later. Don't worry, Parker. <laughs> you just watched a movie where Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> <sighs> well, 
Uh, was, hey, you should have sex with this pretty girl. I reckon I have a girl. Like, okay, sick. <laughs> now start interrogating him about his mother's maiden name. Man, yeah, good magic. Yeah, which? Oh, well, how'd you do this trick? I, I just got it. His security questions. Yeah. Abracadabra. <laughs> sick. I love it. And then someone flies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot that. We oh, I fly. tricked you into telling me where you went to school, and also I caused a thousand people to forget what they saw. Like fucking what? Yeah, that was by the way. That was one of the things. So uh, the opening heist is they got some French guy. Uh, he's like, all right, where's your bank? He's like, in France, and they're like, oh great, and. Uh, they rob that bank. They say using a, a tele, you know, a mind transporter device. And my first thought was, well, obviously that's not how it's done. That's kind of silly. Well, also, <laughs> and this is important, they fucked up the time zones, and it was very upsetting to yeah. me. <laughs> well, the, the thing that was getting me though, <laughs> me and only me. <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, well, no, hey, trust me, I got that too. I've been working with a client that's in that time zone, and it's stuck in my call too. So the thing that got me was they were explaining how it was done. They went to France and they programmed this guy by bumping into him and convincing him to go to Las Vegas <laughs> by tossing a, a chip and, and in front of him. Somehow, somehow, all of that was more believable to me than seat 13 being in a four-seat row. <laughs> I've been to a stadium before. What the fuck are we doing? Are they really just want yeah, that? Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense. Like... I agree, guys. You know, I thought this movie was good at yeah. first. I'm... <laughs> I, I try not to be that guy about movies, but you can't. Like, like if I'm watching this fucking magic show, I'm thinking about whether I would go to this magic show or not. And the answer is obviously yes. Because A, there's magic, and B, they seem to really hate French people, which is dope. So, like, I would give these people my money in a heartbeat. But, uh, do, you, do you want to see a magic show? Nah, not really. It's by the Four Horsemen. So, yeah, <laughs> so I'm in. We'll, done. I'll be there. Can I sit in seat 13 in row four? <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah so anyway they turn oh so what they do uh they teleported someone to france i don't fucking know and then it rained fake money by the way the one of the ways that they probably is uh that one girl uh, bumped into him she grabbed a said like oh i'm so sorry and then she says on the walkie-talkie i got his measurements <laughs> look see that actually i was fine with that because that seems like something a european person would do just grabbing your face after they bump into you on the street yeah. like i want 100 percent. i thought it. she was gonna like tear off his mask like they do in dead reckoning i just thought it was funny like oh we did an amazing magic trick we tracked him for three weeks <laughs> oh <laughs> cool that was like that was the other one is like uh fast forwarding through a movie a lot like one of the magic tricks by a, a, a dead magician named Shrike was uh, he uh, the one where they planted the, the card inside the tree. He was like, yeah, it's just the long game. I'm like, there's nothing that's, besides the fact that that's not magic, there's not even like sleight of hand in there. He just waited 18 years to do a bit. Also, like, at what point did their ability to do sleight of hand to help their ability to do this job? <laughs> Why would you not just get after? Well, I guess I, I guess I would do this one here. Is uh, we should probably just jump around with this fucking movie. Like, who cares? Plot stupid. I mean, the movie doesn't yeah, care. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, my favorite scene is actually the CQC sleight of hand with uh, Dave Franco, where he just starts like <laughs> oh my flipping God. cards at the guy. Dude, why? So uh, the reason I like that is I kept thinking. What if they did that in a Mission Impossible series, but they had someone cool doing it instead? What if we had Tom Cruise doing, like, all sorts of, like, oh, now I'm here, now you see me, now you don't shit? 
you can't ask that. Tom Cruise would have to actually learn magic to do that. And uh, okay, I think I'm ready for that. You know, he did all his own CQC in. Uh, okay, but the, the second sleight of hand, the second I see Tom Cruise do magic, I don't want to see Tom Cruise do regular stunts ever again. I just want him to be the world's best magi- uh, magician. I. All right, once Mission Impossible is done and Ethan Hunt's story is uh, finished, it's time for him to learn up-close magic. I, part of it is also the sound design here, so uh, at one point he is out of... I don't know what he's out of. He just doesn't have any more moves, so he just starts throwing cards at the guy's face, and then he throws one spare at the guy who's somehow stuck in the garbage disposal, and you just hear the guy go, Ah! <laughs> I... Obviously, you, because you're a human being who's over the age of 11 and has seen a movie before, like, you know that one of the characters you've seen on screen is going to be the mastermind. Mm -hmm. I was fucking begging it was Doug Stamper after he got stuck (laughs) in that fucking fucking garbage disposal. As you're watching, like, wait, are we just going to do a Final Destination thing here? Like, what is this? Oh, yeah, that ended with uh, his fucking, like hands like getting chopped off or whatever i would be like whoa why did i download the extended cut <laughs> better what be- happened uh, i don't know uh we went to the magician's apartment and then i ended up stuck in a garbage disposal and he threw playing cards at my face yeah, yeah so you're fired actually <laughs> is how that fucking works <laughs> yeah dumb piece of shit i mean we knew that there was going to be uh, a mastermind behind it because at the very beginning someone set up that apartment so we know that there is like a fifth horseman so <laughs> great <laughs> my canonical favorite fifth horseman yeah that's just like they talk about in the bible so uh what other scenes really stood out to me uh all the scenes with these characters and their great chemistry <laughs> they clearly look like they have talked to each other before it's like bro half of you were in zombie land together i don't love that movie but like you've met yeah. <laughs> you were on a set together why do you look like aliens pretending to be humans i have so many questions about this movie Go for it. because like while i don't hate any of the casting you know obviously they're not you know great together but i think individually i think all of them are at worst like above competent like why is Woody Harrelson in this movie? That is a wonderful question. Is it? Would it be Zombieland? Is that? Uh, is that just the reason? I have a feeling that might be it. You know, they were just like, yeah, he was great in that one movie. You know, bring him back. I guess that's just somebody. I have a lot of questions about his career in general. Yeah, because sometimes he shows up and I'm really happy about it, and other times he shows up and I'm just like. Ugh. I mean, my, and I can't think of anybody else that I have that like large of a gamut of emotions about their performances. About. I think my thing so. with him is uh, I can't believe in a magician with a southern accent. It just doesn't work for me. That's true. That's voodoo. That's yeah, a different just, thing. Very different yeah, it's, it's like how uh, it's like how there's cyclones in the Pacific. Like when they went like to if him, I come at if I come at you, I'm like, all right, I got three cups. Right, <laughs> he's trying to swindle me immediately. You know, I'm trying to take. Yeah, you just immediately start throwing change. I'm like, all right, here you go. Like, when they went to New Orleans, I really thought that they were going to do voodoo, and I thought that Jesse Eisenberg would be like, no, no, we can't do this. This is real magic. (laughs) This is real magic from ancient Egypt. (laughs) Mark Ruffalo cutting off a chicken's head. (laughs) It just becomes a West Raven movie. (laughs) I hear it's pronounced hoodoo, like, super. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much. Only, Only an hour 45 left. <laughs> oh yeah, I uh, I I did like the the 
it wasn't their idea to like give where they're going to be like robin hood type performers who are going to take from the rich to give to the poor because that's the greatest illusion of all was any of this their idea? It seems like they all have zero agency in this movie. I guess technically you're right. Yeah, I guess this is all technically part of the eye. <laughs> all right, guys, so you're gonna you're gonna work together. So you're gonna spend a month doing recon work on this French guy. Like, no, <laughs> you can't have somebody else do that. We're stealing how many hundreds of millions of dollars? By the way, I fucking loved where, like, it's towards the end of the movie and they all meet up with their benefactor at that uh, merry-go-round. And they're all, like, elbow each other. They're just like, yeah, hey, great job, team. We all work together. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk about, you know, thinking about other things you've seen recently. There's a fucking scene in the new... uh, what we do in the shadows where Nandor thinks he finds his old horse on a merry-go-round at the mall and uh all I could fucking think about when I saw that merry-go-round <laughs> the new season's really really good yeah. it's really good to look that up. They, they really they really understand that we are just as here for the bit characters as we are for the main characters anytime that I see uh the fucking that old ass vampire troll guy that looks like Big Yoda like I'm just in a good mood. <laughs> the Baron, he's my favorite. Yeah, yeah whatever his I name is. So much. <laughs> so, anyways, back to now the ancient sleep. Egyptian <laughs> magic. Yeah, they have to put all their tarot cards together. <laughs> Pick a pathetic card from my grandfather's deck. <laughs> <laughs> he really does have that fucking Kaiba chip on his shoulder. My- <laughs> It's like if Kaiba's whole character was like his dad died dueling and he just went on this decades-long fucking revenge tour against Yugi. Yeah. It's like if there was a Batman of magic. <laughs> My father, the dead shamed magician. You're like, all right, man. This made $300 million. <laughs> well, They're making a third one. I, like, that's a, so that's the thing I keep thinking about Now You See Me too, because there was a scene that wasn't in this one that I, I've seen like a clip of it like on, I don't know, on Twitter or something like that, so it must be in the sequel, where I guess they're trying to break into another bank or maybe a government building to heist that one. And one of the guys, or maybe it's a girl, has her hand, or maybe they all do, they all have their hands up, you know, to be searched, and they all have, like, the secret key card, and they're all, like, hiding it with sight of hand and going back and forth, it's clearly CGI. They didn't do it in this one, and I was, like, missing it, I was like, damn, I wanted to see that really stupid shit. And it was... Next week's episode. Also, by the way, it's not sight of hand if CGI does it for you. You know, you have to learn how to do it yourself. I want to see that fucking lighter. This This movie's all about magic. Oh, man, how long did it take to learn the tricks? Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the real twist, buddy. If magic is easy enough that Dave Franco can actually learn it, then I don't want to know yeah. that. Like, give me CGI instead. Like, I would rather just pretend that this is something that actually takes talent. I, I will say I was kind of happy Dave Franco magic. had, like, three lines. He's also Sam Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> he just dis- fucking disarms and almost kills two FBI agents, and they get to the... <laughs> 20 minute car chase? That makes sense though because he grew, up on the hard, the he grew up on the hard streets of New York okay he knows how to fight and get it disappeared a curtain <laughs> yes of course yeah, yeah explain that one <laughs> liberal <laughs> he really does dis- disappear like he evaporates into thin air like four times and then his car explodes yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah I bet he's still alive you got me yeah, when he shows up at the very end, I really felt like there would be like someone in the back of the audience going, Dave Frank was still alive! 
Maybe at your theater, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but oh, I, I, <laughs> hey, uh, I got someone for that later on. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of, by the yeah. way, this is uh, I am I'm staring through my computer screen directly into Josh's eyes as I ask him this, uh, because he is the only person that might corroborate what I thought about this movie before we watched it. Josh, did you also think that this was based on a true story? Because <laughs> I 100% did before I saw this. I think you're thinking of the math movie, the, where they get the guys who are good at counting cards. I no, 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 that up. No, I mixed those not. up four times. Yeah. <laughs> I work in a casino. There's no way I would get confused about 21. <laughs> That's what it was called. I, I definitely, it. it took me a good 20 minutes to be like, oh no, those are different. Yeah, those are, yeah. Got it. Right. I just assumed that there were magicians that did crime at some point. That seems like something magicians would do. Yeah. And then instead it was this. Alex, have you ever used, like, uh, a casino chip to, like, hypnotize someone? I should try. I should fucking do that. I, I mean, it would be really easy. You just drop it in their drink because those things are so fucking German-fested that that person would immediately go into a coma. <laughs> We're talking to the pit boss. Don't worry, I got his measurements. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, yeah. Mary. Thank you for barking. Oh. Appreciate it. All right, should we move on to uh, Barmentheimer now? <laughs> or will we? <laughs> or. <laughs> we may never yeah. know. Alex, please walk me through the journey of okay. when you finally turned on it. Because I want to know if it was... A single moment, or if it was like gradually just won you over. Um, I was ready. I was ready for a a vitriolic episode. The before I saw your review. The answer. Um. Well, before we get there, like, how did you feel about this? Since uh, I don't, I don't know I that a, you're on record yet. I had a pretty good time with it. I definitely preferred Oppenheimer, but I mean, outside like the first uh, ten minutes, it that was it was grading on me pretty good. Uh, There's a couple bits near the end, but like. It definitely won me over pretty early and stayed consistently entertaining. Yeah, and it, it felt like a real bait-and-switch to me, which I don't think was the point, because, like, it's one thing if you have bad jokes in your movie. Like, you know, whatever. I don't need to laugh at everything. But it's a little bit different when there are bad jokes in your movie in a packed fucking theater that everyone else is laughing at, and it's just like, you guys can't be fucking serious. Like, you are not laughing this hard at the Kens yelling about how they're gonna beach each other off. Like, this... I, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you really think this is funny. Uh, but, yeah, no. Like, everything that happens in that first, like, extended scene in Barbie Land uh, made me want to fucking die. I, uh... I can't remember if I whispered, I want to kill myself, or you owe me so much for going to this with you, but uh, um, I was, like, 15 minutes in, I was, you know, ready to just come in here and yell and scream and throw things. And then they go to the real world, and from that point on, like, the movie's just good. Uh, I will say that it was it took, like, a little bit of effort to win me back, and there were, like, a lot of things that happened that I was like, alright, well, that's kind of funny. Well, that's kind of funny. But the moment that I really flipped to being pro this movie is when she goes to the school where the fucking tweens are eating lunch <laughs> and she goes up to confront them about, uh, you know, like, hey, you know, just let me let you know I'm the real Barbie and I want you to be happy because that's relevant to this movie. And then they call her a fascist and she looks into the camera and just indignantly pouts, but I don't even control the railways or the flow of commerce. <laughs> 
fucking crushed me, dude. <laughs> and it won me very early on. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't mean no, to no, you're you good. There. You're good. You're good. Do your thing. Just uh, now they have the giant elaborate song and dance number that is interrupted with her having a build doe tree vast intrusive thought and <laughs> just asking, "Hey guys, ever think about dying?" I was like, "All right, well, I think I'm Ooh. in." We're making progress. In a movie that didn't have the preceding five minutes, that's starting to get me there. But uh, you know, you, you to this movie's credit, and this is not something that you can really know until you've seen the movie, but uh. The trailers are like the first 30 minutes of the movie. And uh, because I'd seen that trailer enough times, even, you know, without really thinking about it, I was kind of worried that most of this movie was just going to be this shit in Barbie land that made me want to die. And thankfully, everything that you see in the trailer has happened by like minute 35 at the latest. And there's like a whole nother movie beyond that that is actually worth watching. And, you know, good marketing. It seems like it got a lot of people in the door. So, uh, I am very happy with the trailers of a movie for once. Even though they made me explicitly not want to see the movie. Um, <laughs> by, by, like, two weeks out, you were, you were ready to, like, what if I just got a divorce? <laughs> I, fucking... I mean, Alex, he exaggerates, but uh, I'll put it to you like this. You sounded like Parker does when Parker talks about Meghan Markle. Yeah, I that's how her. I felt. She's my favorite. I, I, it's sometimes just the way things are marketed rubs you the wrong way. Like, I'm not trying to sit here and sound too fucking male for all of our no-female listeners, but uh, when I know that I'm being sold something, I will immediately turn on it. Like, I, I just... I'm not an actual advertising-doesn't-work-on-me person because I'm not a fucking idiot, but... uh. Don't make it this fucking transparent, man. Like, yeah, I'm playing the game of capitalism. That doesn't mean I have to like it. Like, fuck off. Like, I don't... I don't want this thing jammed down my throat for an entire year. Especially the way the last three months have been. And, uh... At least they did it with a good movie for once. Like, normally this happens and it's, you know... Fucking... Captain Marvel. <laughs> Doctor Strange or something. Yeah. Like, I... I at, at least this is worth your time. At least... I'm not going to say the advertising has purpose here, but at least this is like a real filmmaker that makes movies I enjoy that uh, I can sit down and not be that mad about it. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think that uh, a lot of what this movie does is really, really effective. And I know, much as you probably feel, we can just fast forward past all of the Will Ferrell in the boardroom stuff and talk yeah. about when the Kens discover patriarchy, you know, AKA the greatest movie I've ever seen. The montage of him realizing what the world could be like, and it just being like pictures of men on money and then the grease lightning dance and then horses. <laughs> I was a hundred percent locked in from it's, that point on. And it, it's funny because like this movie clearly knows and embraces its reputation as something that is for, uh, for lack of a non-gendered term, film bros. And there are lots of references to classic cinema in this, including in the first, like, 90 seconds, they do the fucking Blackstone in 2001 thing, but with a high heel or whatever. And, like, that just really just... It fueled the fire in me of, like, oh, this is for those people. Like, 
I don't mean women. I mean people that are pseudo intellectual about film. Not that we would ever do that. Right. Um, but uh, uh, it just you know it really sours the mood. And then by like the fifth reference to a movie that everyone has seen, you're like, yeah, okay, it's fine. I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm now now that it's not fucking Kubrick and recalling all of those people who are extremely annoying about Kubrick, which is like very deliberate once we get to the subject matter of the rest of the movie. Uh, man. Uh, I <laughs> do you uh, do you have anything else from our sojourn into the human world that you want to talk about? Because there are lots and lots of bits. So. Oh my god. I just want to talk about the Kins for like an hour and a half, if we're being Dude, honest. I, I, and I want to say, um, for some reason, I'm just talking a lot about uh, <laughs> fucking South Park and Team America in this episode. Um, it's just been on my mind constantly. Because if you think about Team America, right? It's, it's just a movie that's, like, inescapable for me when I think about this Barbie movie. Because, like, the joke of Team America is on America, but it's not really on Americans. And similarly, the joke of the Barbie movie is on masculinity, but it's not on men. And unless you're, like, an unbelievably joyless fucking, like, B-poster... I don't know how you can watch this movie and watch this parade of doofus Kens and not identify with, like, 70 of them. And it's it's so effective because that touch is there. Because this movie in other hands would have just been mean-spirited. And instead, I'm just sitting there pointing and laughing at the Ken in the background of a scene at a cafe wearing an Eli Manning jersey with the sleeves cut off. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what would happen if they just discovered what masculinity was in the real world and imported it to this fake place yes 100 percent, you nailed it ryan gosling walking out of the house wearing a fucking karate headband and a mink coat and mma gloves and nothing else it's like yeah that's exactly what and, we would do and the embroidered fanny pack in the metallica <laughs> font <laughs> I, the 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 scene that really really made me know that i was in good hands and not that i didn't already know because like Greta Gerwig is batting a thousand at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't know if my extremely pro Ladybird feelings are well known on this podcast. You've but, mentioned uh, a couple times, and they are reciprocated. Uh, okay, good. Because this movie, like, there's a scene where somebody in the real world asks Ryan Gosling the time, and he gets super excited, as any of us would do if we were asked the time or for directions or how something works. Because why wouldn't we? <laughs> Who doesn't love that? And then in literally the next scene he's in, he's just wearing three watches. And it's like, <laughs> I, it's, you guys nailed it. Like, you guys fucking nailed it. That is exactly what I would do, too. Like, I... I is that like the Jared Leto it, thing where he was at the fashion show and he sees, like, the guy wearing the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, personally, I knew I was in great hands when they get back and, like, all right, they took over the Barbie dream house. And it's just him adding salon doors to the <laughs> salon doors. Salon doors. <laughs> I'm tired. Keeping it. <laughs> You're good. That and also a pull-up bar. I mean, we <laughs> and just TVs in the background that always have videos of horses on it in the background while they're talking. <laughs> it's extremely and good. And these people are supposed to be the antagonists? These guys seem, like, pretty cool. <laughs> yes, objectively. <laughs> like, it's impossible to, to get back to Ken World and not be sitting there like, well, now we're getting somewhere. All right. Uh... But like I, I, I really appreciated just the the 
the fact that they're laughing with you. Because a lot of versions of this movie is very much laughing at you. And I'm certainly not one of these, you know, not-all-men types. Like, I'm, I'm aware when men are being criticized for doing a thing that I don't do, that that's not strictly about me, because I have more than two brain cells to rub together. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like, it's kind of... I understand why the Ben Shapiro's of the world would come out against this movie that, you know, says the words toxic masculinity out loud. Mm-hmm. But uh it's not mean-spirited in the slightest. Like this movie is made to be fun for everybody. Now, I think you probably wouldn't enjoy this movie if you were like over 50 because it's very very millennial coded in the references and oh, stuff, yeah. but but, you know, those people don't fucking go see the Barbie movie anyway, so that's fine. I mean, this also, I again, I've only seen the trailers, but I saw the same trailers that you did, and if it's like the first 30 minutes of the movie, it seemed like they were kind of making fun of women, too, you know? It seemed like there were a couple jokes that uh, were, I guess, at femininity's expense. Like, for example, uh, my heel isn't touching the floor anymore, you know, stuff like that. It seems like little stuff. It does kind of make me think, though, that... One of the things I don't like when comedians do is it seems like a lot of comedians aren't very good at making fun of the opposite sex. And it seems like maybe that's just like kind of a difficult line to do, you know. And uh, to hear that the Barbie movie does that well is uh, that gets me more excited to watch it than I was previously. Because I have to admit, everything I've heard about this movie is, yeah, it's just fun. Movies are just fun. That's, uh, you know, I I like having fun at the movies. I did see so much pink when I went to the theaters for Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, (laughs) we, we we were taking the train down there, and the two gayest men you've ever seen in your life were sitting in front of us, and we were kind of, like, chuckling. Like, I bet they're going to see Barbie. And then we just followed them straight to the theater to go see Barbie. It's like, okay. Josh and I haven't seen Barbie yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, so I don't know, you know, I know Noah Baumbach has, you know, a writer and executive producer credit on this movie. And I don't know how much of their creative partnership is her and how much is him. But those are two filmmakers above all other filmmakers as far as I'm concerned in terms of how good they are at portraying humanity and all of the things that humanity entails whether that be for comedy or in a more serious nature i just think that everything i've seen from the both of them has been very very effective at that and that's such an important touch to have for a movie like this because this movie could be grading one way or the other in like a million different worlds i mean hell even the will ferrell character who's you know like the ceo of mattel in the all-male boardroom like they they portray this character as an idiot because he is an idiot, but when, you know, when they start, like, talking to him about, oh, you just, you created Barbie because you wanted to reinforce all these negative stereotypes, like, he says, like, this obviously contrived dumb rich people speak thing about the thing he actually was trying to do about, you know, empowering women and this and that, but, like, it was sincere, and it's what that kind of person would actually say in that situation, and despite the fact that you know that this character is like dumb and out of touch like it doesn't like you're not the movie's not bringing you there to point and laugh at will ferrell's character you're everything in this movie like every way that they tell jokes is for lack of a better word it's so inclusive like i mean you have the fucking indigo girls song playing every time that they're driving to and from barbie world when it's barbie world and then it becomes Ken World, and the song just switches to Push by Matchbox 20. And <laughs> Such a good pick. It's, 
one of my favorite bits I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> like, be- you because you see this movie a hundred times, and the music choice is like, oh, let me guess, is it Nickelback? Is it? It's Creed? Wonderwall. Oh, you, you're just one. sitting there expecting to hear Wonderwall, and if it's Wonderwall, the movie feels meaner. Like, instead, it's this song that literally every dude in the universe is like, all right, yeah, I can work with this, because it, it's just like it's in that perfect middle ground where it's like. Yeah, this is a song that Douchebag with Acoustic Guitar would constantly be playing. But it's not the song. It's not the one that, you know, you would use to make fun of that guy. I totally forgot about the scene on the beach with the pan out that all of them were playing. (laughs) (laughs) such a good movie. It's really good. You have the guy on the end with the drum set. Like, it's... (laughs) Full drum set on the beach. (laughs) Matchbox 20. (laughs) Oh, man. What a movie. I... I had a fucking blast with this. I really did. Um, if you are feeling your fight or flight kicking in in the first 15 minutes, that's fair. Just, uh, you know, tranquilize yourself or something. Have a drink. You know, do whatever it is that us fellas do. But, uh, no, I had a really good time with this. Although, I will say, there's a point... Basically, the third act of the movie is the Barbies trying to reclaim, you know, Barbie world from the Kens. So there's one day that they're going to vote. The Kens are going to vote on amending the Constitution. And the the Barbie's plan is, you know, we're just going to distract them by doing all of these things that men cannot help resist, like going up to them and saying we've never seen the Godfather. And it's like, <laughs> like, like it, it's, it's, it's a great extended bit, but also there's like a point in it where it's like, because Michael Sarah is playing Alan, who is Ken's friend, who hates being in Ken world and is working with the Barbies the whole time. And so they, they, you know, the Barbies have successfully distracted the Kens from remembering to vote during the election. And in my head, I'm just like, well, clearly they've outlawed, you know, women voting. So Michael Sarah is going to be the only vote in this election. Right. And then it's just not that. And I was like, man, that would have been funny though. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the referendum passes one to nothing. Can I just like, can I just say <laughs> uh, that that kind of freaks me out because I saw Alex after she saw uh, Barbie, and while we were together, she she mentioned to me that she had never seen The Godfather, and now I'm like thinking about what I. That was a test. Was, oh <laughs> yeah. fuck! I hope I said something not shitty. All right, cut this. Cut this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't let him win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, when you do eventually get around to seeing this, because you watch movies and therefore you will, you will have a good time. Okay. I promise. Yeah, I believe you. Uh, shall we get to uh, Oppenheimer? Another movie that's also a good time, but not in the cool way. Like you uh, <laughs> if I could fucking say something about the real world here, Alex... I am going to commit domestic terror. I'm going to commit a January 6th on the theater at the Rio. Because three hours with no air conditioning. I was in hell. Uh, so, counterpoint, I, it actually kind of got me more into the movie. I know, I, I know. It's exactly, I felt, I felt like I was literally there. <laughs> exactly the same thing that I felt. But here, okay, so I actually had kind of a lousy theater experience. Uh, first of all, I did get all the trailers, and I showed up on time. So I, I don't know what happened with yours where they just decided, ah, no more trailers for people. I, I think it was specifically because of the air conditioning thing. It could because be, yeah. they were, like, literally, like, as they were taking our tickets, mm-hmm. they were saying, like, hey, just so you know, the air conditioning is not on in the theater. If you go in there and it's uncomfortable, come out. We'll give you a full refund. Oh, they didn't say so that. So they were, 
Well, it was probably it probably broke then Maybe. because they weren't expecting this many fucking people to see this stupid movie. Anyway, but, so uh, uh, what, oh, uh, by the way, also everyone was fucking wearing pink in the lobby. I felt kind of weird there. Uh, the other problems were like, uh, it, uh, well, I will say, uh, seats were comfortable. That's a big plus over the Alamo. The screen was a lot smaller than I expected. Uh, I don't know how that happened. Did you see it in IMAX? I did. Or? I saw it in IMAX. The other problem I had is a lot of people wouldn't shut the fuck up behind me. Uh, that, which, That's unfortunate. Which is great because Christopher Nolan is still not great at audio mixing. Uh, you, uh, Chris, out of curiosity, yeah. what time of day did you see this movie? Uh, I saw this at 10.30 at night. 10.30 at night on what? Uh, Sunday. 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 Yeah. God. Okay. Um, so just for the record, uh, I had a 10.45 showing on Monday night. Mm-hmm. And the theater was more packed than I've ever seen it. I mean, ours was I, packed to the gills. There were I got the single last seat in J six. Stay woke. Yeah, I uh, um, I normally don't feel bad about using the bougie concession line at AMC because I pay for the thing that lets me use the bougie concession line. Mm-hmm. I jumped like fifteen people in line at like ten forty five p.m. and that's wild to me. Yeah, like. This is getting I, uh, a lot of people. I, I couldn't believe how many people were yeah. there. Yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah. I love it. I, I like more people seeing this movie. Uh, I guess I'll start off. I really like this, even though I I do have some problems with the movie. Uh, this is one of those things where I like the subject matter so much. I like so much about it that I'm willing to forgive uh, missteps. Like the audio mixing kind of pisses me off because it was a little bit hard to hear dialogue in the first act. But after a while, I guess your ears kind of adjust to it. I don't know. Did you guys have a similar problem? Very much yeah. so. I was expecting to have that problem, so I feel like I only didn't have that problem because it wasn't as bad as I was mentally prepared for, mm-hmm. which sounds awful, but that's Christopher Nolan. Like, thank God that, you know, I saw Tenet on my fucking couch. Right. Because I needed subtitles for that movie, because Jesus. Yeah, I almost considered but, uh, going to a subtitle showing for this one afterwards, being like, I wonder what they were saying half the time. But I've read the book, I, so I know what they were talking yeah. about. Yeah, and that that's the thing. And and I'm glad that you have read that book because the history dork in me has a couple nits to pick with this movie. Not many. Mm-hmm. Not as many as you'd think, considering how fucking autistic I can be about this stuff. But uh I- I'm glad that there's somebody that is a receptive audience for when we get to that mm-hmm. point. It's it's warms my heart, no offense, yeah. Parker, but I mean come on. No, I, I You know just found I out who this guy is, right? <laughs> So I, one of the things that, uh, speaking of uh, history and stuff, there is one part that I knew was wrong. It didn't actually happen that way. And I said, good, fast forward the shit. You don't need all this. It's the poison apple. A lot of, one of the things a lot of people know about Oppenheimer is he went kind of crazy in Cambridge and almost killed his teacher with a poisoned apple. And uh, that didn't... He didn't almost kill Niels Bohr, okay? Niels Bohr wasn't even there. You know, he had nothing to do with that apple. And I, when I saw it, I was like, I don't mind that. That's that's playing with history a little bit, and it's totally fine because it keeps the movie flowing. It keeps the energy up. I will say... Uh, two, thi- two things on yeah, that. One, I didn't see it because oh, that's in the first five minutes of the movie. Gosh, and uh, <laughs> two, for the cheap seats, uh, chlorophyll more like borophyll. There you go. All right. Read a book. Yes, sir. Got him. Uh, okay, so did you were you there for the scene in which uh, he quotes the Bhagavad Gita while he's inside Florence Pugh? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, I, 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 I I walked in during the Einstein scene. Yeah. So uh, let me tell you like something. The, the uh, actually, that's a pretty good time to walk in. That's that's not so bad. I yeah. yeah I I don't feel like I missed anything. Yeah, that's that's well, but yeah. 
but also I, I as we'll get to as we talk more about the section of the movie mm-hmm. like I think the first act of this movie is fucking worthless and I love the second and third mm-hmm. acts but like ba- basically if if they started this movie in Matt Damon's first scene I think it's a better movie I think that's I, that's probably a defensible point of view we'll, we'll get to it again about that yeah, 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 about yeah. We'll Keita's scene later. while he's inside of her that's that's I'll tell you what, that's not in the book. <laughs> certainly don't fucking do that. And I will say that the one defense there is that is around the time that he started reading the Bhagavad Gita and he was really into it. He wouldn't shut the fuck up about it, including to Gene Tatlock. But I don't think he ever quoted it in flagrante delecto. Uh, by the way, on the subject of Gene Tatlock, I think everyone's performance is really good. I love Emily Blunt this, but I really like Florence Pugh. And I was never, like, a Florence Pugh person before this. Like, I didn't like Midsummer. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't like Midsummer. I I think I've been clear about that. And I thought her performance in the the fucking... What was it? The Puss in Boots movie was, like, god-awful. The horrible. Yeah, in this. (laughs) Indefensible. Yeah, I mean, she was sleepwalking. She just talks like that. Yeah, she was uh, sleepwalking worse than Mark Ruffalo. But in this, I was surprised. I was like, oh my goodness, now I get what people are talking about. She's actually pretty good. <laughs> That's so funny, because I had the opposite reaction to her in this. Oh, you didn't like her? I liked her previously, and this kind of soured me on her. Oh. I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I understand that Nolan, being the filmmaker that he is, wants to tell the whole story of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, all of the early life stuff is A, not that relevant to the message he's trying to convey, and B, super, super not interesting in the context of this film. Like, I, at least for me, like, I, I it feels very awkward and very forced, and most importantly, very rushed. Like, I think there's, like, in a world where this is a four-hour movie, and I understand a little bit more of who this Florence Pugh character is supposed to be within the context of the movie, I think all of this works. And I'm not asking for this movie to be longer, because I think this movie should be shorter. But if you're gonna tell this grandiose and robust of a story, I need this character to have more than 35 lines of dialogue. Yeah. And, and then we're supposed to and, feel and bad just, when she kills herself, when we don't really know her that well. I was yeah, like, I thank God she's watch. gone from the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, she disappears early on. I'm like, oh, that seemed like a waste of yeah. time. I feel like that could have been a line of exposition. You dumped it out for this? See, that's the thing is, I, I was kind of wondering how you guys ha- haven't, you know, the fact that you haven't read the book, how you would feel about a lot of those early scenes and how they would tie into the importance of his life story and uh this is kind of what i was afraid of is the movie really doesn't handle it that well and i have to admit i I come into the movie with a little bit of bias having known some behind the scenes facts about that story i'm a little bit more willing to accept that stuff i will say in the defense of christopher nolan i think what he was trying to do with introducing gene tatlock who i will say you could cut her and the movie is basically the same. Uh, actually, better, uh, I would say. I th- you lose one very, very important scene if you lose that yeah. character. But uh, I, I think you can find another way to get so there. So my, de- my defense here for the Gene Tatlock stuff and uh, some other stuff he does in the first act is it feels like he's trying to bring that in 
to why Oppenheimer feels a certain way about certain things. Like he he feels a responsibility for her death, just as he feels responsibility for uh, future deaths that would happen in a global thermonuclear war. I think that's what he's trying. I think he does it perhaps a bit clumsily, and it also it isn't really necessary. And furthermore, this is perhaps the worst indictment. I. There wasn't anything about his guilt towards Gene Tatlock in that book, and it doesn't tie into Hiroshima or Nagasaki or a hypothetical future nuclear war. So, yeah, I guess you could uh, cut her. Although, it seems like most other audiences, not that it matters, but most other people really seem to like her in this movie, and not just because she dumps them out. Uh, I thought Emily Blunt was really good. Did you you guys like uh, Emily Blunt? Because that is a very difficult role to play. That's the second best performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'll just go ahead and, uh, you know, let you know who I think is the best person in this movie. And that is Alden Ehrenreich, who I think is <laughs> fucking spot on in that role. And who I will continue to buy all of the Alden Ehrenreich stock that is available on the market. Because I don't understand why he's not getting better roles. He's fantastic at everything he's ever I done. was happy to see him because I did like that character a whole lot. Uh playing uh he was the uh, senate aide right uh, uh he's the senate aide slash the audience stand-in for yeah the basically but that's the best audience stand-in character i've ever seen in a long yeah. time yeah oh you want a bad by the way i'm sorry to do this but parker remember how fucking bad the audience stand-ins were in rubber how fucking stupid that was <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the literally the only thing i remember <laughs> fucking so stupid and annoying sitting there on those fucking yeah. chairs but uh, I agree with both points. Yeah. Uh, both of them are great. Yeah. Uh, fucking Emily Blunt's scene where she cooks Jason Clark mm-hmm. is like the one moment of triumph that doesn't have like a hundred thousand people dying after. So, it. Like, like, here's the thing about the book. I sorry, I, I got to be a book reader. No, this no, one. do your book this thing. Is, I respect. Yeah, this. this is important to me. Kitty Oppenheimer was, to put it very nicely, difficult to get along with. Her best friends described her as an unlikable bitch. Uh, She was a horrible mother to their son. She was a raging alcoholic, and uh, she was also quite brilliant, and she really envied the spotlight of her husband. Uh, And they hardly got along as it was. However, she also did defend him, just as it was in that movie. For Emily Blunt to be that character, I, I... I have to admit, I was a little surprised that they went full on and made Kitty Oppenheimer. They showed the alcoholism. They showed how much she didn't want to be a mother to her son. Uh, In the trailer, they just show her hanging up laundry. I just thought she was going to be another pretty face. And I'm glad that they they showed her honestly as who and what she was. And by the end of the movie, you want to give her a fucking standing ovation for the way that she stood by her man. And I think that Greta Gerwig could take a lesson from that. (laughs) Buddy, let me tell you. uh, Having seen basically that speech in two different movies in two very 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 different contexts uh turns out it works regardless of what you're talking about like if you just are a tour de force giving a speech about something that is very very important to you i buy it Mm -hmm. it's it's and and chris you know i haven't read american prometheus Mm -hmm. i have however read other books about oppenheimer Mm -hmm. so I, I find the fact that you read this book fairly recently, like, very, very valuable as a resource to me, because I know there are a lot of things in this where I just assume that he's trying to be loyal to the source material, being that book. And I, I'm glad that there is somebody here that can, you know, 
kind of put context on that because I think it's very very important for understanding this. Yeah, movie. I think that's exactly what he's trying to do. There are some parts where you could he just ripped off the page and he just put it on screen, and there are a lot of places where that works brilliantly. One of my favorite lines in the movie is right after the Trinity test. Thank you to Josh Peck, where uh, he just says. <laughs> It worked. And the line, it worked. Just the simplicity of that line really sticks with me, and it's one of the parts of the book. There are other parts where he is clearly playing with history. Again, Niels Bohr almost eats a poisoned apple. That wasn't quite how it went down. Oh, by the way, Niels Bohr, I want to say this actually happened, and Parker, you were right. I am the Pied Piper, because... I, as I'm watching the movie, there's that Christmas scene, right? And I, I was kind of, the same thing I told you guys, the fact that you guys didn't read the book. I assumed everyone else in my theater didn't read the book. And I wondered, are these people having trouble following this? Because the first act is kind of a mishmash. At the Christmas party, surprise, surprise, Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr shows up and someone in the back of the theater yelled, look, it's Niels Bohr! <laughs> <laughs> so Alex glad you came to my showing <laughs> happy to help buddy just paying it forward for Barbie piece of shit uh, we'll say just for the record uh, in case anyone's following along with the local Alamo arc service was fantastic for Barbie oh hey very very pleased very happy I'm glad they're listening uh, Alamo is the the combination of Alamo finally giving me my drinks within 10 minutes and also no AC at the AMC, you know, really tilting the scales back at Alamo's favor. Yeah. Big week for cinema. I will say that, unironically, that did put me in the mood for the stuffy rooms because I was wearing a button-down shirt, too. I was like, oh, I know just how we felt. I'm about to invent the coolest invention ever. <laughs> that was, by the way, that's the thing is like everyone's talking about is like, oh, Oppenheimer. Leading up to this, everyone's talking about how Oppenheimer was a terrible person, and this movie does a very good job of humanizing him. I have. Uh, you say everyone. When I say everyone, I mean, I mean the most annoying people, people yeah, alive. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So I got to tell you, the whole lead up to the Trinity test when they when they're turning on the lights and everyone's ready and stuff like that, I was like, oh my goodness, I am so fucking ready for this. I wish I was there. <laughs> It's hard to do a historical event in a really riveting way because it's like we already know that it works, but they pull it off. Yeah. I, uh, let, let's uh, let's talk about other thermonuclear blasts in this movie. Parker, you want to talk about how hot Josh Hartnett is? Oh God, dude, anything. that's the thing. That's all I, I want to talk about. I'm not sure. So I we can't let girl Alex see this. Okay, it's not fucking fair. <laughs> Listen, if this fucking person was able to look like this at roughly the time that they were making X-Men movies, that Josh Hart would have been Beast and would be on X-Men like 14 right yeah. now. And I would be fine with it. And I'd see all of them. Like, My jaw dropped when I saw God, him. I was dude. so fucking bad I got LASIK. <laughs> He's so big. I'm going back. <laughs> I'm gonna... Has Josh Hart they... always been this big? No. There's no, no he, he wasn't always this big. I've seen, I've seen movies where he was like kind of ratty, you know? And are we this are we doing gym. that fucking Guy Ritchie movie that he's in from this year? Like, are we doing that soon? Because otherwise, I'm going to watch it this it, week. Because yeah. I want, uh, yeah, like the not not Guy Ritchie's The Covenant by Guy Ritchie, the other one that came out this year. <laughs> Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. He had two come out. Yeah, 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 within like three weeks of each other, dude. Yeah. Are you not a Guy Ritchie fan, Parker? Have you not been following? <laughs> Oh, you got me. We're uh, we're okay. We found the Allen of this podcast. <laughs> Whoa, I've been called worse <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> oh man! In the last five minutes. 
Yeah. He is so oh. fucking hot. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> Why didn't we just drop him on Hiroshima? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know, uh, he does have a point. You should keep politics out of the classroom. I agree with the man. Yeah. The man, the man comes in to Union Bust, and you're just like, oh, yes, sir. <laughs> you're right. Stop it's not building this, this union immediately. We should, in fact, uh, take this out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, you know, they didn't do the best job. Actually, okay, so I, I was, I wanted to address like the people who were saying that it was like, oh, they didn't show the Japanese getting nuked. Like, a, you really want to see that? <laughs> and B. He, they showed Americans getting nuked. They showed something that's never this happened. Is... It was one of the most terrifying scenes in any Nolan movie. Yeah, I don't need Christopher Nolan's perspective on the horrors that befell the Japanese people. Especially because he's British. Right, yeah. Yeah, like... Hello, he's Japanese. If... Like, no, thank you. I'll just watch a movie from Japan. <laughs> I, like, I could understand <laughs> that argument if this were an American director. Yeah. But it's not. Like... He has no reason to feel culpable here. That that shouldn't be in his movie, and it doesn't belong in a story about Oppenheimer, who obviously never would have seen those fucking bomb droppings. Right, yeah. So, I, I, it's just... It's stupid, and it's lazy, and it's, you know, intellectually disingenuous, and all of these fucking things. But most importantly, it's, like, fundamentally wrong. Because, again... This movie is a character study about a person. This is not about how you, the audience member, should feel about the fact that atomic weapons were dropped 90 fucking years ago. Correct. You, if, if, you, if you need that context from this movie, fucking turn off this podcast and go read a fucking book. Like, well, it's not what this, this is here for. This is, a, this is not a that. fucking documentary. What's wrong with you fucking people? I mean, you see so many of them, but here's some good news and bad news. The good news is most of these people are people who haven't even seen the movie. And so they're just they're just posting, you know? The yeah, bad news I mean, is, they're 16-year-olds. Yeah. I get well, The it, bad but... news is I got a couple people who did see the movie and said, oh, they, this is so stupid. They didn't show the Japanese. I mean, that's like... And I I didn't even respond because uh, life's short. I uh, I almost died. So like I don't I don't need to engage with people. Like that. <laughs> if anyone would understand what they went through, it'd be me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're just watching. You're like, yeah, me too, guys. <laughs> Chris walking out of the doctor's office and googling blast radius of three mile island. <laughs> Doing the Hideo Kojima. I'm okay. <laughs> Uh, should have done that. I mean, this is what a movie. Let's get to get back to positives here. Uh, it really is about a subject that interests me. I don't know if this is uh, interesting. I know Alex, you're a student of history, uh, uh, a graduate of history. Parker, did you have any particular interest going into this for the subject of Oppenheimer, or just this is another Nolan? I'm going to watch a Nolan. I mean, shit. I still haven't seen Tenet, so yeah. that doesn't mean as much. You to will me. need. I didn't watch most of his that, movies, and by the way. I didn't watch Interstellar till I had COVID last year. Like, it's, I mean, I like his movies, but I didn't see it just because it's his movie. I enjoy history, but it was easily my worst subject in school. Because I was very much of the, okay, here's your study guide. Memorize all these dates and terms. And then the next week, it's completely gone from my mm-hmm. brain. So I am 
always starting from behind when it comes to anything historical. You know, I, I really liked history. Like, I wanted to read the book, and then I saw how yeah. long it was. I'm like, <laughs> I, I know myself. Let's not even... I have to admit, like, at least 100 pages of that book are like, and here is definitive proof that he wasn't really a communist. You're like, no, guys, I get it. You could just say he never officially joined the party. It's You're fine. fine. But they, they really... I mean, as far as, like, an academic book, I mean, this, this is, like, definitive. Anyone who says, no, really, he secretly was a communist, those people are wrong. <laughs> There's enough evidence that he not only was not a communist he was pretty you know vocally anti-communist uh he is what we would describe now as a free thinker yeah (laughs) like i i don't know how better to describe him but if you know anything about his life it's like yeah this guy would have been like this guy would have owned twitter blue and uh had like sixteen thousand followers and probably thought that the russians invented covid yeah would oppenheimer this is the central question would oppenheimer have been vaccinated no chance. So here's a... Uh, f- Zero chance. Am I being, am I being <laughs> detained, General Gross? <laughs> See, I, I keep thinking about, you know, uh, Bronny, Bronny Jr., he just uh, had, like, a, a cardiac arrest, and people were asking if he was vaccinated. So here's what I want to know. Do you think Len Bias was vaccinated? Really makes you think. <laughs> I didn't know where that was going, but I'm pretty happy we got there. <laughs> oh, yeah, Socrates, you don't want to take the hemlock vaccine? <laughs> Get a little of this guy. <laughs> Oh, yes. You know, as far as the light goes, yeah, I, I think I do largely agree with you. I I will say that my interest in the subject matter is enough that really propels it over the top. This is my favorite movie of the year. I like this slightly more than Across the Spider-Verse and Asteroid City. Uh, I still like those a lot. In fact, it kind, of, it kind of feels weird to say, oh, best movie of the year, but uh, this is the one I like more than the others. All right, I'm going to embarrass myself and uh, be the representative for other stupid people. I could use some names on the screen, man. That's a lot of names. Yeah, I, 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 it's a lot of names. I'm struggling. That. I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I will say... They say Lawrence, and I'm like, okay, it's got to be one of the three American guys. Which yeah. one was it? I, I, I will say, to this movie's credit, the fact that every name is set to a face in this movie is something that I feel like, A, only Christopher Nolan could have done, and B, really, really contributes to how you understand and comprehend the movie because like all right so remy malik's like a character in the background and then he has like a big scene at like the two hours 40 minute mark but because you saw remy malik earlier you're just like oh that's remy malik i should probably pay attention because i know how movies work and i know that this guy's gonna matter later and like even as i'm watching i didn't know who that character was but it's like all right i'll pay attention because it's this guy and i'll figure it out later and all the dudes in this movie kind of make that a lot easier because it's so much easier to say like oh well josh hartnett's character thinks this than oh dr lawrence thinks such and such right like you're not you're not dealing in a new language there you know who these people are by the way that'll be what i remember going forward is like this movie has like 15 people in it and every single one of them is doing like at worst a top three career performance. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I want to bring up uh, a guy who keeps turning up in movies. I'll I will ask if you guys recognize the name. You, I know you recognize the face. David Dastmalkian. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, he's in. Yeah, he's in a million things. things. I, will, I will never learn yeah, how to pronounce that it. That face is. He's always playing like the Grimer Wormtongue role. You know, he is the, the greasiest, oiliest, like uh, snake of the grass villain, and he does that in this one playing William Borden, and. It feels like that's just what he is meant to play. Oh, except apparently he played Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. 
<laughs> when they first introduced him, I thought he was the other Safty for a second. <laughs> he does look like that. <laughs> Uh, when you, I mean, you leave a movie like, oh, that Dane DeHaan kid was pretty good. And you're like, wait, that dude sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he's fine. I, uh, I really like uh, Robert Downey Jr. in this one. He's doing really good work. It's very odd to see him in an antagonist role. I guess I apparently Christopher Nolan kind of based the structure of this on Amadeus, where they have these two characters who are at odds with each other. And I think that's probably a wise decision. Amadeus was a good movie, and it really fits the importance of, you know, the red baiting that he got from Louis Strauss afterwards. God, that, the whole fucking payoff at the end of that movie mm-hmm. with his subplot is... It's incredible. it's great. Yeah. And even, even if you know the Louis Strauss story, like, it's still great. Because he is, like, a fascinating person in his own right mm-hmm. that is probably worthy of a book at least 60% as long as American Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they portrayed that relationship and the ways in which he benefited from it is, like, pretty accurate. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of people probably watch this movie, and if you know things about movies and know nothing about history, that's a character that you would just kind of assume is made up. But it's like, oh, no, no, that's a real guy. Like, that's exactly how he handled these situations. And... I think that using that as kind of the foil to whatever protagonist story is here for Oppenheimer is a really, really smart filmmaking decision that I really respect. Mm-hmm. Anything else we got about this? Sorry, I'm just lo- I'm also looking at the cast. Uh, I was looking. Like, oh yeah, James Remar has like five minutes and kills. It. <laughs> I was looking at uh, David uh, Dasmalkian's uh, screen, uh, his filmography here, and uh, he is. Um, in the last voyage of the Demeter, hell he yeah. plays a Future guy named Wojcik. Sure. <laughs> Hopefully, no first name. I will not. Actually, correct. Yeah, no first name. <laughs> um, I, uh, if you'll allow me my history corner for forty-five seconds, Please do. Uh, uh, one thing that did bother me about this movie is that the only real reference we get to the you know Soviet nuclear program is Truman saying that they were years behind. And I feel like a lot of people that know nothing about history probably walked out of this movie and think that the only reason the Soviets have a bomb is because Klaus Fuchs leaked information to them. As a sidebar, having Robert Downey Jr. being the character that reveals that information kind of offhandedly, I feel like kind of calls the credibility of that into doubt. And just to let the record state, oh no, no, that guy absolutely sold nuclear secrets to the Soviets. Um... But uh, I think that leaving that notion that Truman puts out there unchallenged when we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Oppenheimer knew that the Soviets were not going to be far behind on a bomb is kind of rough in an Oppenheimer character study. Not that he needs to challenge the president of the United States in that scene, but I feel like for people learning this story, that's relevant context. Like. Yeah. They didn't get the bomb because they stole I it. Think, uh, I, I think that that happens at a couple different points with a couple different characters. Uh, some characters will say stuff that we know today is verifiably false. And I was wondering about various audience members taking those characters at their word when they go unchallenged. I was like, oh, I'm not telling them they should read a book, but some of the stuff they say is just wrong. There are times in which characters push back on them. For example, David Dasmalkian is the one who says... Uh, 
Uh, he's uh, Oppenheimer was a was a Soviet agent for you know fifteen years or something like that, and Oppenheimer whispers to himself, "When will the lies end? When will someone tell the truth about what's happening here?" And I'm like, I I'm not exactly saying he should have stood up and stopped the and said, "Not uh," because that didn't happen. But uh, I was just hoping that basically, I guess I'm hoping that uh, people paid attention. Yeah, that would be nice, That's but uh, you know you can never expect that from audiences. Yeah. Um, and I do think the way that the narrative is like woven together, there are credibility concerns for some characters and some of the things they say, mm-hmm. but it's not constant. And also, like, it's not this movie's job to inform you about how history happens. I am very much of the opinion that people should just read a fucking book. But uh, given the discourse of the past week, as people try to relitigate something that happened 85 years ago that they seemingly know nothing about other than what they saw in this movie, kind of makes me feel slightly more predisposed to the idea that there should be more context provided in this movie. Because, like, while I understand that people can have different or controversial takes on historical events, like, saying things that are just plainly wrong as fact frustrates the ever-loving shit out of me even if it has some narrative purpose mm-hmm. yeah but then he would lose Florence Pugh's character <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, again I can understand not liking her I, I will say I probably come in with a fair amount of uh, again bias and I'm a little bit more forgiven because I know more of the history based on the book here but uh, yeah I, I submit you could probably cut that character and it's uh, probably a better movie you know what we really need we need a more Josh Peck just am I supposed to think that like his ability to determine whether or not dropping atomic weapons was good or bad is influenced by the fact that he was a womanizer? Like I I don't I understand why that's there. I don't have a problem with that being there, but like the linkage between the two is like, all right, what are we doing here, guys? Come on. Yeah, he like, did do that. I guess it's, we're really leaning into. Yeah, they tried to be like, yeah, that's part of his guilt, and I'm like. You really shouldn't conflate the deaths of all the people in Japan with uh, <laughs> with Florence Pugh's character. Well, uh, let me take a quick detour. Is there like a conspiracy that someone from the government killed her? Because I thought I imagined seeing a gloved hand shoving her face in that tub, but uh, other people also saw it, so I'm not I crazy. Think, I thought the implication of that was that uh, he felt that the fact that he didn't uh, stay with her, that he decided he wasn't going to call on her anymore that was supposed to be like his hand like he felt that he, uh, was, I also, he was responsible yeah, for that yeah. I think that's what they were doing because also I just assume anyone labeled a communist also could have just yeah. been murdered in the based, on, uh, based on what they read in the book buddy they didn't need to kill them back yeah. then yeah. Fair based enough. on uh, what I read in the book no one really knows a whole lot about why she did that but they definitely she definitely had uh, serious psychological issues so I mean, they, this movie really does she show will. her as she's so crazy. Yeah. Love her. So, you know, I, the, I think the movie has a certain idea about it, and that is not what that idea is. Yeah. And also, anybody that thinks that is probably, you know, one of the Twitter cosplay communists yeah. that uh, <laughs> loves feeling like the government is doing things like handing out fireworks on the 4th of <laughs> July. So, I just want to make yeah. sure, because I thought I was going crazy. No, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Was that a hand? Yeah, no, it was his. Yeah. I mean, I felt like it right, would have been enough. a bit much if they had panned up and there had been, uh, you know, Killian Murphy doing the Oppenheimer phase with, like that the whole time. It's not like this movie's subtle, yeah. so. Yeah, uh, this yeah is absolutely it. not. Uh, that, that, exactly. The whole fucking scene where she's grinding on him in, in the middle of the hearing, 
I really expected to hear more giggles in the theater than I did. Uh, luckily, mostly muted, uh, except for the people talking behind me. Fucking, that was a bit much. Uh, <laughs> there was one person who was basically talking out loud, following along with every single scene. It's like, oh, that's what he said. <laughs> Which I guess is part of like the audio mixing. Which uh, look, I can't defend that man. Uh, one of these days he's gonna give me yeah, some. He's titles. just hire an Please. audio mixer. You can't do it. He's too close to his own project. He knows every single line of dialogue so well. That he's just like, yeah, more, more music. And I'm like, man, bring back Hans Zimmer to tell him no. <laughs> Hans Zimmer's too busy doing Doom Two. He's gonna have someone in the back go. <laughs> Maybe he shouldn't have done you throw that over that new yeah. going now. <laughs> Right. Two really good movies, and also a movie about misdirection. <laughs> Next week's episode, uh, for, Now You See Me Too. Or is uh, it? Before we, should, before we leave, I just want to let you all know that uh, Morgan Freeman's character is named Thaddeus. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go back to Now You See Me. <laughs> Alright, so, like, is that character supposed to be pimp-coded? Or, like, what are we doing I here? Don't... <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, he's a he's a real pimp in the magic world, defrauding all these he magicians. Can't. Hey, do you know these tricks aren't real? No, yes. he is a we uh, he's a mark. He's not part of the this, eye. We paused this movie for five minutes to talk about. You remember that fucking show in the early two thousands where that magician was revealing how magicians do their tricks, yes, but do. he was wearing a mask and using a voice changer <laughs> vividly <laughs> because he was afraid of what the magic community would do to him. <laughs> Thaddeus. Mind freak. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo, disgraced son of dead magician, ousted by Thaddeus. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if if you were walking on the street and you saw like the marquee for a theater and it said, performing tonight at 7pm, the great Thaddeus. You're going, right? <laughs> It's so cool. They're like, all right, so what if we made Skyfall, but it was about a magician? Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Love it. Vinny Vinny Vici. Ah, oh, but this is actually my plan all along. Was it? Do you think he could figure this one out from the trailer? No, I. <laughs> Wait, this lady from Interpol doesn't have any purpose except for you to think she's a red herring. Ah, so you were misdirected. Gotcha. <laughs> Much like Florence Pugh, you can cut her out of the movie. <sighs> now you see me too Joker's trick <laughs> <laughs> This week we watched A hundred minutes of just Goatsy burned into our computer screens <laughs> Oh he fucking got us On this one <laughs> <laughs> The clown prince of crime <laughs> He thinks magic is funny <laughs> I just keep thinking about Jesse Eisenberg being like Interrogated handcuffed shuffling a deck of cards and just immediately <laughs> crossing my arms like fuck this stupid <laughs> wait did, wasn't that scene where he got like a key inside a closed can of soda they pop the yeah, can like, it's magic. Like, that's not sleight of hand that's just witchcraft yeah. no it's magic you just <laughs> oh, you yeah. know like that the, the other one that pissed Damn, me I off should... is like when they're talking about his pimp coat right and they're just like oh check that unnecessary velour pocket I'm like how did they throw the card in there when it was Dave Franco doing this direction like woo like that I like to imagine you guys are treating now you see me the way you treat Oppenheimer like maybe if you read a fucking book you wouldn't <laughs> that's how we, obviously if you knew anything and you could just read you know how we got the card in that, would, that would be Josh Josh right, is man. telling me the true story of how, this, how they did this 
actually they looked that direction. That's when he put it in their jacket. Yeah. What? Who? Okay, yeah. I figured. Ben Edmund Teller showed up. <laughs> well, this this movie both has a teller. <laughs> <sighs> well, poof. <laughs> Sloppy oppie does yeah. it again. <laughs> Wait till uh, the Kens get home and check their mean, asses. Do you mean that Oppenheimer has a teller because there's a woman that doesn't speak for twenty minutes? <laughs> <laughs> but get, but get this, she's crazy. <laughs> All right, Chris, you've been making movies for decades. You're finally gonna make a sex scene. All right, so here's the thing: she's gonna hold up a book, right? And you're like, oh, fucking whatever, man. <laughs> what sure. you guys have never tried that with the Bhagavad Gita I, uh, in Sanskrit? I s- I sincerely apologize for calling Now You See Me Sorkin Coded after watching <laughs> Oppenheimer. Well, it's like, that was a good movie. Mr. Nolan, have you had sex before? What What the fuck is this? He's like, yeah, it kind of looks like that, right? They're just kind of like staring at him like, this is going to be in the bloopers, right? And this is the best bang of all. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bang one step beyond. <laughs> <laughs> this is so hot the way we're rubbing our bodies on yeah. each other this is sexual in yeah nature. by the way great shot of killian murphy with his like completely nude crossing his legs like a woman <laughs> a way I, if i'm nude my legs are akimbo yeah. and i'm Hang I'm gonna put <laughs> the fuck. I'm gonna put my post-sex ass on this hotel chair. <laughs> Thinking about. He's... Think about. Like <laughs> imagine the peeling sound of him coming off that chair. I'm just I'm thinking about him, you know, having on his fucking sport coat and tie and a hat, but just poo bearing it, and uh, it's fucking killing me. I was getting indignant. It's like, bro, you showed your penis like 15 years ago. We've seen your hog. Presented. All right, Al. We all saw twenty eight. Parker days later. is Come very on. upset that we didn't see more Killian Murphy penis. That's the cold. Yes, <laughs> it's three hours long. Let me see that hog. Will you do it for Danny Boyle? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> this is art. Put your hog on the. Look, if my dick's gonna be on screen, I want it on a movie shot for IMAX. That's see, that's the thing. Is fucking. Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. said, "Oh, Killian Murphy made like the greatest sacrifice ever. We don't even see balls." Yeah, my uh, cock meat was twenty <laughs> stories tall. It was immaculate. <laughs> Good to see it. I'll buy your ticket for you. <laughs> Fuck out of Look here. at it, Dave. Franco, <laughs> come and touch it, Dave. <laughs> <sighs> well, we can stop recording now. That's the greatest trick of all. <laughs> but, oh, man, imagine if you'd bamboozled all these people be like, oh, go see Barbieheimer. And it's just this big fat <laughs> cock on screen. That would have been real oh good. Oh, my God. The idea of buying someone a ticket to a movie just because it's your dick and I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't miss it. There's two bombs going off. You're going to see them both. <laughs> You will feel his vein pain. <laughs> now we can stop recording.
the tea, sis.